When you first got to the varsity baseball team at Hightower High School, who was the first person to kind of give you that wake-up call? This was a whole different level of competition. So that wake-up call happened really right the summer before I made the varsity team. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was playing at Hightower, and this is our summer league team, um, pretty much the entire kid, group of kids that were going to be on varsity the following year. And so we're playing all, you know, local high schools and things like this. And we had a, a great summer, by far the, the best season of high tower baseball, whether summer league, fall league, or the, the true season. And I was having personally the summer of my life. I had been batting over 500 this summer. Wow. And I just like could not go wrong. Line drives. If I didn't hit it well, it was still finding holes, things like that. <laughs> yeah. And so um, – we had made the playoffs in this league and like we hadn't been very good. I mean, just the competition we we're going up was so strong. Right. And then we didn't have no idea there were even playoffs. And like this year we were like just living it up, having fun and great. And we made the playoffs. And we were like, Holy crap. You know, Hey, we got, we got more baseball than we thought we were playing our last game. And so we ended up uh, making the playoffs and going into the, the regional uh, area. Uh, and so you know, our league had other schools like Elkins and Dulles and even mm -hmm. Bel Air and all these kind of that were here in Southwest Houston. So our region was now encompassing Northwest Houston. And so uh, there was a round robin tournament and we had made uh, the semifinals of that. And it, would, it had been a late game and it was up in the, in the Cypress area. So uh -huh. we finished up about nine o'clock, I think that night. Uh, and there was a game after ours and the, oh, that game actually determined if we made it to the semifinals. And so somewhere around 11 o'clock at night, our coach calls and said, yeah, okay, we, you know, things went our way. We've made the semifinals in the round robin, be back up here, you know, games at 8 a.m. the following week. So we're, <laughs> yeah, we're dog tired, yeah. right? And so to get up there and living in Sugarland is we're talking like 6 a.m. Right. You know, got to get up there dog tired. And okay, the game started. We are we're dead, right? We're, we're no, we're not, we're not in good position anyways. And as we're looking at the game starting up, we see scouts setting up and we're like, what is going on, right? Uh -oh. This is a summer league game. And we see there's like three or four scouts setting up. And we're playing one of the Cypress schools. And I'm pretty sure this is Scott Kashmir, who ends up being a first round pick, who's starting on the mound for the other team. And prototypically, I had been like a five or six hitter. I had no wheels and things like that. And where, you know, my contact, my power was, that's where I could hit him. But like I said, I was having the summer of my life. So they'd actually, I was batting number two this time because I was just getting on base like crazy. Yeah. I remember, you know, first guy, you know, three up, three down, three pitches, boom, you know, and then I go <laughs> up there, first pitch, whoosh, and I just said, oh man, it's too early for this stuff. You know, not really, you know, you know what I actually said, right? Uh, yeah. In front of the umpire and the catch, and they just started laughing. I just said, throw two more, and I'm going to go sit down. It's too early for this. <laughs> I swung with the next one. I think I made contact. And the next one, he just blew it right past Whitney. And it's like, this, that was elite level stuff. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. 
one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. All right, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast. We're into season number two. We we made it. Like I said in one of the other episodes, if, if we have any haters or doubters, I don't think we do. We proved them all wrong. We're still here. We're into season number two. This is a very special guest for lots of reasons. Number one, this is maybe our biggest fan. <laughs> I know that he's listened to all 52 episodes of season one. He often will text me kind of what he thought about the episode. And so that's really special to me as a host. That means so much. But also, I think we're making team player podcast history. I think this is my first childhood friend <laughs> that has come into the team player podcast studios. We we met very early on in elementary school. Yep, at Barrington Place Elementary, the home of the Broncos. Another way is making team player podcast history. This is our first primary youth coach that's come into the studios. Cyril Ojeda did start as a youth coach initially, but then he progressed on into middle school, and now he's head coach of my beloved Aldean High School Mustangs. But this this guy this is a guy that's coached his kids all the way through, and that is so beautiful, and that is important, and that's a big reason why I had to have him on to the show. It's my honor to welcome my longtime friend, Dan Shook. Welcome to the show. It is an honor to be here. 30-plus years of friendship and knowing yeah. each other. I never thought I'd be on your on, the, on this podcast, so it's a true honor to be here. I was waiting for the right time, my brother. I knew. Yeah. Let's, let's get into season two, build up the listener base a little bit, and then we'll bring you here into the prime time. Awesome. Um, it's, nothing, it's not going to be like facing Scott Casimir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> live the hardest part of your life. So this is going to be easy. This is going to be fun. If you're a part of the team player movement, please make sure you've given us the five-star rating. Uh, we are at 49 on Spotify, so it's a race. He was going to be number 50. So if you have not reviewed yet, just just it takes five seconds. Click the five stars. Uh, we got 27 on Apple Podcasts. Really not bad. So thank you to all y'all that have done that. Uh, haven't read a written review in a while. So if you want to leave a written review, I'll read those here aloud on the show. You can hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new episode in your queue every Sunday. We will be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. And I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. Okay, so I looked it up, Dan. Scott Kashmir went to Cy Falls High School, so he was a Golden Eagle. So I, I did verify that. Okay, so I played a lot of sports. I mean, primarily football is my sport. My secondary sport in high school was track. I threw the shot in the discus, and I love playing basketball. But baseball, and you know this from playing a little bit of baseball in your backyard with me, baseball was never my forte. Okay, yeah. I made <laughs> I made it through I made it through t-ball with with the yeah. Meadows Flyers was the team that I was on, and that was it for me. That's where my base, that's where my baseball career ended. I can only imagine you kind of alluded to it, where you're like, it's too early in the morning for this shit. Well, yeah. What is it like staring down a 95 mile an hour fastball? I mean, what is that physically like? It's, you don't have time to think, right? It's yeah. pure reaction. You have to be up there. You have to have a plan. You've got to just be ready. Like, you know, when you're, you know, younger, you know, still, you know, freshman, sophomore levels and below in high school, you can think and you can adjust. Yeah. Once, you know, pitchers are start to, you know, mid eighties and above that type of, you know, oh, let me see what's coming, figure out what's coming. You know, you just don't have time. You're talking four-tenths of a second from the time the ball leaves the pitcher's hand to when it's hitting the catcher's glove, right? You blink your eyes, you've missed it, right? You've got to be up there with a plan and ready to go. And, you know, and, and that's the hard part, right? Because, you know, he's got that 95, 90, 
you know, eight mile an hour fastball, and then he'll drop in, you know, an 82 mile an hour curve, or, you wow. know, it's a, a 92 mile an hour slider, or whatever these pitchers are doing. And it's, it's tough. I'll say it, you know, I, I tell to all my kids, hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in all of sports. Trust me yeah. with that. You know, they're, you know, I can talk about it all day long, you know, a uh, major league hitter, you know, if, you know, he fails 70% of the time as a hitter, he needs to make a $30 million a year. You know, yeah, no other yeah. profession can you fail 70% of the time and have a job, right? <laughs> let, let me ask you this, Dan, and I, I just threw 95 out there just as an arbitrary yeah. number. W yeah. Was 95 accurate? Like, is that, the, do you know what kind of heat he was throwing on that day? Oh, yeah, he was throwing mid to upper 90s. I mean, wow, and in so high, as, a, as a high school. And in, in that's the thing, like at Fort Penn ISD, we didn't have a lot of guys throwing a lot of that serious heat. Right. And so, you know, this is where, you know, uh, you know, you got Josh Beckett who graduated just before us up there in the woodlands, right? He yeah. was great bringing gas like that. And you had Cashmere bringing gas like that, but the guys in Fort Penn ISD, they had nasty off speed stuff that they would throw yeah. in. And so you could still get by with a little bit of, uh, you know, you know, guesswork a little bit and not a hundred percent reaction to, to be able to hit, but you know, when you saw that type, there's a big jump between 88 and 95. And I, I, I've, I've met some guys sometimes that just kind of cavalierly throw out there. Oh yeah. Back when I was in high school, I threw 92. And I, I always kind of like take that with a grain of salt and skepticism because some, it's easy to say, Oh yeah, I threw 92, but yeah. like, I don't think people realize how hard. <laughs> yeah. Very few I people mean, on we had nobody, that. Yeah. yeah. We had nobody on our staff that could hit the nineties. Right? right. I mean, we had a couple guys that could touch upper 80s you know right and things like that but it, it seeing 90s is in real it was it, it was even back then it wasn't that common you know those right. guys are the stuff that were you know your true d1 prospects and things like that and so you grew up in sugarland texas now i uh, Covington Woods, right, was the name of the neighborhood, or do I have that wrong? Well, it, technically, it was the Greenbrier edition, is what that was called. Okay. Right next to Covington Woods, literally I like see. across the street, uh, was kind of the boundary of Covington Woods. But yeah, right next to it. Um, my parents moved out there. I think it was seventy one or seventy two. Okay. Homer Price, the home builder and developer, started that edition. So, which which builder you said? It was a, just an independent contractor. Independent. The guy's wow. name is Homer Price. Homer Price. <laughs> that is pretty and, cool. And the house, to give you some perspective, was somewhere around, I believe, $29,000. Man, that is so cool. And that's one thing I, I didn't know about you. I did not know if you were born in that house or born in that. that was, that's the only house you ever grew up in. And that, that, was yeah, I, that was the house, that, that, that house on Greenway that we spent yeah. all that time together. That was First home, my parents, they moved out Your there parents' starter home, and they stayed there for yeah. many years. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Very cool. 25 years before moving. And then, Dan, I know that, you know, as a as a kindergartner, I went to the Meadows Elementary because I was in Barrington Place. So I was kind of closer that direction. You're a little you, – you were off kind of the other way, closer to Sugarland Middle School. So did you go to, like, Sugar Mill Elementary for kindergarten, or where did you go? No, I went to a, a private school called Walden School that was actually okay. on the other side of Meadows there, okay. close to Lopez, just right down the street from Lopez yeah. Mexican Restaurant. And so if you went down, was that to West Belford, you took a right to get to Lopez. If you took a left there at that intersection, you would find Walden, like, one block from there. And so and what was, was it? The, what, what changed? What changed in, in – what, remind me of this. I know that we met maybe in second grade, I want to say. Second grade. Second grade. So what changed where your parents decided, hey, let, let's let's go to the Fort Bend Public School? 
Well, in first grade, I mean, Walden School uh, really only went through kindergarten. I gotcha. They, I see. They, okay. They so it was always the that. plan you were going to start yeah. school in first grade. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in first grade, Barrington Place opened up. Other than that, if Barrington Place hadn't opened, I would have been going to Sugar Mill. My sister gotcha. had gone to Sugar Mill first through fourth grade. And then Barrington Place opened up and we both ended up going to uh, Barrington Place. Yep. Very cool. And so I, I have, I, I can remember parts of this where we actually being the first class or, or part of the first class, like we got to vote on the stuff <laughs> and got to vote. Yep. Unique things. This, this school Barrington place elementary actually made the news last year. I think something was like irreparably wrong with it and they had to shut it down or something. Well, it, I, I saw a couple of years ago, it was on the chopping block to be right. closed formally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't followed up too much, but I know a lot of people got upset. It's like, Hey, this is a great school. What happened? What's yeah, yeah. going on? And all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I don't know, just demographics have changed. You know, communities have gotten older. No sure. need for the population on that side of Fort Bend ISD. So and the unique thing about our school, it, the color was teal. You don't see that every day, but we the yep. color was teal. I remember that. And I remember voting. And we, we were given three choices. I remember Broncos, and I want to say Braves. And I know your memory is, is you, you have a great memory. So can you remember the third? There, I know there was I cannot two. remember the third one. I just remember the Broncos were, was the overwhelming choice. I voted for Broncos because being a yes. sports fan, I was like, yes. this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot remember the third one because it wasn't that memorable. It was something different. I think it was something like, different. I think it was like Weeblows or something. It was something like completely, it was not like yeah, abstract and like, what is this? And yeah. No, no. And good times. And uh, Dan, I, you know, I have fond memories because I, I also, it wasn't my childhood home. I mean, as the listeners know, I was born in, in Japan and then yeah. we lived kind of in areas of A-Leaf and also kind of actually near um, in the Spring Branch area, like on the north side of I-10, kind of yeah. like it's maybe yeah. like where Spring Woods kind of area is now. So I had a couple stops before I got to to uh, yeah. Stancliffe Oaks there uh, in Barrington Place, but have fond memories of that subdivision. My dad used to always take me, there used to be like a dirt BMX, like dirt biking track kind of behind the school uh down yes. alston road did you ever go to that do you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah i, I remember that i definitely went a couple times i remember yeah you go down Austin, and it was on the left side of the yeah, that's road correct. there before you got to whatever that street there would then yeah. take you back to uh to to west belford and things like that there was the big, big bmx i went there maybe once or twice a couple of times but yeah i absolutely remember that i mean it's so different back then there was so much open area exactly all that stuff has been developed and it's gone like yeah that. you you read my mind that's what i was gonna say now if you go there it's just a bunch of houses but it's just exactly. so funny when you grow up somewhere like I, I i was broadcasting game at tully stadium in spring branch and to see what tully's it used to be in the yes. middle of nowhere tully stadium oh yeah <laughs> now it's yeah. surrounded you know so i just thought that that was kind of cool but we had a great time um you know going going through the classes together at barrington place i always joke around that at some point they put a couple blocks in front of me and i played at the blocks and from whatever the 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 result of me playing these blocks they they diagnosed me as gt which i don't think i'm a very intelligent person but that that's how we and you you've gone on to be a very successful using your intelligence you know for for the good greater good but we both were kind of placed in that gt track so we're always kind of in yeah. the same class together oh, yeah. going through uh and after barrington place and uh, well, let me say this. Do you have any, just uh, for any, any maybe some Barrington Place alums that are listening to this, any any fond memories you have of Barrington Place Elementary? The Denver Freeze, man. How can you leave uh, that out? Man. Okay, let's talk about Come the Denver on, Freeze. Come on, the Denver Freeze. We got to talk about that. Let's step inside the mind of a third grader. Exactly. <laughs> so, at that time, man, growing up, I was always a contrarian. 
I just like to be, I like to be different. Like, you know, my dad was a big Packers fan. So I wanted to, I liked like the Vikings and the lions, you know, like I always want to be different and like even the Rockets. And I, I'm kind of embarrassed now because I'm a huge Rockets fan. But at that time, even though the, in the 90s, the Rockets were great back-to-back titles, I was inexplicably not a Houston Rockets fan. And yep. some of you Rockets fans may want to punch me in the face when I tell you who my diehard team was. I was a Utah Jazz fan, believe it or not, with the mailman. Carl Malone was my favorite player. And then you got, of course, John Stockton with his elbows and setting illegal screens and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, man. I just kind of grew up as a kid of the nineties. And so certain stars would get promoted. And I just loved the mailman. I just loved how physically strong he was. I was also big, like I was into WWF. And so to me, the mailman like looked like a pro wrestler. I just, I fell in love with his yeah. game and John Stock. Yeah. I mean, he appeared in some, you know, wrestling he did type do stuff. Some promotions. You know? Yes, he did uh, later yeah. on in his career, man. And so, Absolutely, yeah. And so anyhow, that's kind of, I, I was a diehard basketball fan. Uh, you were a big sports guy as well. You, you I know oh, yeah. baseball is kind of your first love, but baseball you would, and football, I was yep. all over this. But mm-hmm. you'd come in the in the you know play basketball with us out in the yard. And Ryan Edwards, uh, you know the son of our our music teacher, Miss Edwards, uh, was also a big basketball guy. So we kind of formed this coalition versus another group of kids, and I, I feel like they were n- led by this kid named Nick Stulak is the name that's popping into my head. Well, there was there was Nibin, Nibin. of course. Nibin was I would say even more, but yeah, there was Nick Stulak, Nibin. Um, was it the Allen? I, I think I remember in okay, yeah. Allen on that team. And Nathan Wayne got involved yeah. from time to time as well. And so, yeah. But I think it's kind of like the yeah. Sandlot in a way. Like yeah. in our minds, like it's it's just honestly, like if we could look at it now, it's just a bunch of kids playing basketball <laughs> recess. But yeah. In our minds, we envisioned ourselves like playing in the NBA finals. Like our team was called the Denver Freeze. I forget what their team was called, yeah, but they, they I, had I, a yeah. team as well. And so they, we would they, play they like seven up. game series for like, you know, seven straight days at recess. It honestly was pretty impressive and organized. Oh, yeah. And it, it went beyond that because we kept stats and stuff yeah, like yes, that. We did. After recess, when we got back into class, <laughs> we'd write down our stats. And then, you know, I would be averaging up, all right, our average points are this, our average steals. Dan was this, our numbers guy. Yeah, you're like our GM. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> analytics guy at that time, Dan. It, yeah, exactly, exactly. Dan was calculating if, if me and Ryan Edwards were, were taking high efficiency shots at that time. But no, man, those were the good old days. I even I designed a logo that was kind of like mimicked the Utah Jazz logo in yep. a way, but like with a mountain, <laughs> and things like that. So, man, just I'm so glad you brought that up, man. Because yeah, forget about any. I don't remember learning anything. <laughs> it was all about recess, you know. But exactly. Uh, no. Teachers were good. I mean, I, you know, I would say the toughest one was Miss Magnus in fifth Magnus grade. Was she was the one, one yeah. did not have a sense of humor, but you know, Miss Swasta, Miss Kalina, Miss O'Neill, they were they, they were all nice teachers and easy. And Amber, we, uh, I I got the lead in the school play of the E team yeah. play, and I actually I actually pulled up the old home video one time, and you were in it. You you had a yes. role too. So. Yeah, I had a small role of it. It was, a, it was like a 50s play, and I was kind of the cynic type of a character, which fits me quite well. Uh, but the other thing I remember, Miss Kalina, her husband was the midget car driver, right? And we thought that yes. was the coolest thing, right? That was awesome. That, yeah, my, my dad my dad used to always take us out to Battleground Speedway and Big H exactly. Motor Speedway. And those still ex- I actually went with him more recently, maybe five years ago, and it still existed at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. fond memories of your dad taking us out to Baytown. That's the worst yep. sunburn I've ever gotten in my life. We went out to Baytown to watch the NHRA race. I'm sure John Forrest was out there. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. But, man, hey, great times. I mean, we, we go on and on. The 90s kids are kind of probably nodding their heads and laughing at some of this stuff. We used to play on your your PC 
like using like a floppy disk to put the game oh, in. I never yeah, played a yeah. baseball game on. There. <laughs> we, yeah, like, we played all the racing games, baseball yeah. games, football games, all of them. Yeah, it was your SNES and, and my computer, and we would go yeah. back and forth. Good and times, and then of course we went to move on to Sugarland Middle School, and you know middle schools where things get awkward for kids. So it's like yeah. you, you you go from being in this kind of like uh, I don't know which a petri dish, like a small pond. Yeah. You know, we were all together at Barrington Place. And we go off to middle school. And suddenly, like, I, my entire life, I've been in class with Dan Shook. And then suddenly, even though we, I guess we both were on the GT track, but there's there's multiple GT tracks there. And we I didn't really see too much of middle school, to be honest. Yeah. Felt like Sixth grade, I think we still had uh, a decent amount of classes together. But it was seventh grade. It, yeah. We had nothing. Right? right. And things just, you know. No lunch, no gym, no nothing. And she's like, man, what the hell happened? It was like, we're like, you know, because it was weird. Like elementary school, it was literally, you know, every single year, it was like the same 23 kids plus or minus exactly. two, right? Exactly. And it was just yep. a couple of changes. And we were there together for four or five years, you know, in elementary school. And then and then completely when we go to SLMS, just completely different type of a situation. And, you Let's know, talk about like, some of the awkwardness of middle school. And I think again, some 90s list. Cause like, I remember like, just, I grew up with these same kids my entire life. You get to middle school and suddenly like, you're trying to fit in with different cliques. And yeah. I remember at that time, like I, I split my hair right down the middle of the butt. Oh, cut, the you know? And I, I had, had like a bunch of gel in yeah. my hair, which I never used any product in elementary. And it's like, you're trying to be cool. And I remember just like walking home from, or walking to Simon Says, where my brother was a daycare yeah. <laughs> attender waiting for my dad to come pick us up and like carrying my trombone case. And that is middle set. That is the epitome of the middle school <laughs> walking home, carrying your trombone. I mean, it just was awkward times, man. So I'm just curious, like from, you know, listeners and you're a dad and you have kids that have, you know, younger and, you know, not in high school yet. What would you like for parents that are listening? Like middle school is an awkward time, you know? And so like, what, would, what advice would you give for parents as far as like dealing with a middle schooler as they start getting all the hormones and, and things are changing in their life? Oh, I mean, uh, it's hard to find that balance because, you know, when the kids are in elementary school, right, they're so dependent on you for everything. Right. But like literally once that switch happens to middle school, it's, you know, they're trying to find themselves. And like, you know, my oldest, like he's in eighth grade now and, you know, he's gone through puberty at this point. He's you know, five ten. He's almost yeah. as tall as me at this point. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, you know, I'm thinking back. It's like, shoot, I didn't hit that growth spurt till I was, you know, freshman in high school, sophomore right. in high school, and he's already like that. And just, you know, realizing, hey, he's different. He starts asking me, hey, can I get a phone? And I'm thinking, well, I didn't get a phone till I was in college, but I see how it is, <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, I think this will help me to communicate with friends and all that kind of stuff. And it's, you're trying to be supportive and right. understanding. Yeah. You're also still trying to protect them. It is not easy. That's a fine line. I am really curious how you're going to handle this. And many years from now, I'll have to handle it as well. But that, that's a tough decision. See, I got a paper somewhere. I got to find it. I, I thought it was right here with my desk, but it's not talking about, you know, contract for electronic devices and things like that. And Get it in writing. I like setting it. Setting in place and things like that. And you know, it, it was definitely, it, you know, my oldest is tough. He's got, you know, falls on her ADHD autism uh-huh. spectrum. Yep. And so even with that, it's, you know, on top of, you know, those type of issues you're trying to struggling and you're trying to say, how can I communicate with, you know, someone and you're trying different thought processes, different, you know, techniques to figure out what works and things like that. Meanwhile, you know, you're trying to encourage them to be their own individual and things like that. And so, you know, a lot of times is, you know, it's 
even with, you know, when they have their, you know, whatever's interesting them, just, you know, take a step out and just listen to them, right? My, my oldest has taken a huge interest in Metallica. And I was like, well, I love, okay. that. I love Metallica anyways. <laughs> but like, it. he's talking about all their new albums and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm thinking about it, it's like, man, I'm like, I haven't, you know, my knowledge of Metallica stops around, you know, early 2000s, right. kind of the same anger album kind of being the last one. He's filling me in all the gaps and all the, you know, other tracks and things like that. And it gets him so excited. And so, you know, you know, encouraging those. And so, you know, even later this summer, we decided, you know, he, he, he pops up with it. Hey, Metallica's going on tour this year. And it's like, oh, really? Okay. So for Christmas, we're going, uh, we bought him tickets and we're going up to uh, the Meadowlands, New Jersey. Wow. That is awesome. With, you know, man. a VIP package type of a situation. You know, we thought about, because we, we looked at it, it's like, okay, when can we fit this in? When are the dates? The Arlington date is during the fall in school. It's like, oh, and it's a, it's a unique concert. It's a two-day concert type of a situation. Yeah. It's on a Friday and a Sunday. Really kind of weird. So it's like, okay, well, you know, we even- That's perfect. You can go sightsee on Saturday. Exactly. So we'll go into New York on, 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 on that Saturday and then come back you know, whatever on that Monday, it's during yeah. summer. So it's no big deal, but it's like encouraging them saying, yeah. Okay. Cause I, I remember kind of my parents saying, why are you listening to that kind of music? And it's like, Oh, come on. You did the same thing to your parents and I'm doing right. the same thing in that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's what you decided to listen to. And Hey, I support it. You know, let them be their own individuals. If you, you know, you force things that the kids don't like, well, that just starts to drive a wedge in that relationship. I agree. So you you know, but, you know, keep it all within rules, keep things within moderation, understanding, hey, you know, the schoolwork does that, but, you know, comes first and things like that. But, hey, you know, you know you're going to do our, your schoolwork. We're going to make sure you get it done. But if you want to listen to music while you're doing it, put in your AirPods and and rock on, things like that. And you don't see him watching him air guitar <laughs> while he's doing his homework and all that kind of stuff. And I just laugh and enjoy that. That's awesome, you know, man. No, I, I love it, Dan. And, like, rather yeah. than – accumulating things man you're gonna go do an experience with your son and i think that's something neither y'all ever gonna forget and, yeah uh, yeah i mean his first major concert you know metallica on a trip you know multi-day concert we even got you know some t-shirts with explicits written on it you know kind of all that kind of stuff you right. know things like that and it's like because i think about it like you know you know we went to a tool concert together way back in right after high school or something yeah. like that there. And uh, yeah. it sounds like, Hey man, that's a, a memory that I remember, you know, for the rest of my life. And, you know, my parents had no interest in the music I was listening to. So I had to kind of do that on my own right. so, type of a situation. So yeah. you're the cool dad, but you're also lucky that, that he kind of likes stuff from your generation. So you're, you're, you're really, you're lucking out here, man. You're double dipping. I love it. Yeah, I mean, he listens to a lot of new rock, too, but it's like, hey, if that's your favorite, I'll support that all day long. If he needs somebody to go uh, to, like, a Van Halen cover band with him or whatever, if he gets into that, call me. I love it. Hey, really hey Wolfgang is going to be at this. He's one of the openers for this tour. So he's still they, they're, they're still performing? No, Wolfgang like Van Halen. Of, you know, some the of the members. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 got his band, and so he's uh he's one of the openers for that Metallica concert. So that is dude, that that. that's awesome, man. And speaking of making memories, the open invitation is out there. If you want to bring your family to the big house to watch Texas play, I have a tailgating stall for you. So maybe we can make that work. That'd be really cool. Yeah, we need let's to make about, that work. Let's talk about high school, man. So this is again something for people to consider as your kids decide. The, the decisions they're making as students can impact the rest of their life. And you made a, you made a really impactful decision to bus or not bus actually drive yourself all the way across the district 
started as a bus. Yeah, started as a bus, but then eventually you could you had wheels, and so you got you got yeah. off the yellow dog. But uh, you know, you're going all the way across the district. I mean, you can tell me maybe 45, 50 minutes, you know, drive. Wasn't that bad then? Not that the bad. Too. Okay, so maybe half hour, 35 minutes, but yeah. you made a big drive out there to Hightower, which was the newest school in Fort Bend ISD, and it was designed as a magnet. So it's kind of it was a, a pioneer in Fort Bend at yep. the time, you know. And obviously, like I mentioned. I was in GT just because I know how to play with blocks. Like I didn't retain any of that stuff or take any of that, but you really have an engineering mindset and you knew you yeah. wanted to, uh, you know, a career, you know, in the science, you know, in your using your math brain, your science, you know, your acumen to become an engineer. So talk about that decision. Like did, was it an easy decision? Was it difficult? Cause you kind of had to uproot your whole experience growing up in one place is to go to this brand new high school and, and enter a magnet program for engineering. Well, I mean, you know, and I, I remember that. And I think it was in seventh grade, they started touring the district, right? And giving some information. Hey, there's this new school that's coming and it's going to be different, right? And they had this magnet for, for various academies. And at Hightower, they had it for engineering, medical, and telecommunications, mm -hmm. right? And those were the three areas where they would offer additional classes, you know, specializing in those areas. Because, you know, you think about it, like, you know, even today in engineering at the universities, right? You know, they still do this speech. They did it when I went to, to Texas and said, hey, look to your left, look to your right. One of you will make it. Well, you're paying a lot of money at that point yeah. in time for a 33% chance of making it, right? So to, <laughs> to pay, you know, to get that potentially for free, that decision made at the high school level, is this for me or not? You know, hey, that's like a no brainer, right? And, and on top of that, you know, definitely, as you were talking about, things were changing in middle school, and I was not having a good time. Friends were changing. Yeah. You know, I was having a lot of dealings with a lot of folks that I didn't really like. Uh, I didn't understand what it was then, but it was, call it a, a certain, uh, a class of people, lower class type of people that's, you know, some bullying type of things. Sure, sure. And, yep. and things like that, you know, kind of called white trash type of folks. And I was like, I don't like these people. And I know if I'm going to Kempner where I was supposed to go, I was going to be dealing with a lot of that. I said, and so when Hightower popped up as an opportunity, I said, Hey, this is checking all the box is, you know, yeah. I, you know, when I was earlier, I wanted to go into like architecture, not knowing, cause I thought architecture was engineering and things like that. My dad working on cars out there, love working on cars, love yep. doing things with my hands. I was like, all right, engineering, this is like a no brainer. So I applied for the, for the, for the academic side of things, the medical or for the, the engineering academy, and I got in, and it's like, you know, that was a big deal. I mean, it was, you know, uh, get up, you know, five thirty in the morning for, you know, a, a you know, a five fifty bus getting outside the house so that I could get all the way across district. Man. You know, it yeah. pitch black and things like that. Um, and then likewise in the afternoon, right? Uh, they, Hightower even started later, right? The most because of this type of situation of buses having to come from all over the district, because it was way on the east side of the district. And I'm over there in old right. Sugarland, really yeah. more on the Western, you know, centralized to Western side. And so, you know, not getting home until four o'clock, whereas, you know, if I went to Kempner, I was, you know, uh, you know, a five minute bus ride. If that, you know, I could probably walk it through a field and then straight into my street in 10, 15 yeah. minutes tops yeah. if I wanted to type of a situation. And so, you know, understanding that type of uh, commitment and, you know, not, not even thinking about it then, but like the athletic buses running, I wasn't getting home at baseball practice to like six, six thirty at night and things right. like that on a right. normal day when I was riding the buses. So yeah, absolutely. It was a big commitment and 
one that I felt was absolutely right for me. It was a perfect fit. So academically, you're thriving. And then athletically, it's interesting, too, because you're starting brand new. Now, of mm-hmm. course, you know, I, I was familiar with your football team competing against them. Um, they stormed onto the scene. I remember playing, I remember like uh, playing them in, in sub varsity, you know, yeah. as they were moving their way up. I mean, before I made the varsity and they're like, man, these guys are really good. They're going to be good. And yeah. then I made the varsity as a junior. Y'all had a great year. Didn't win the district championship or, or in the playoffs, but yeah. we somehow the, the lowly Austin Bulldogs stole one off you guys. I don't know how we did it. But we, we were one of the teams that beat Hightower that year uh, in my junior year. Senior year, we had you on the – we matched up good against Hightower. We had you on the ropes in a day game at Mercer Stadium. A big punt return to kind of change the flow, and you guys beat us. But yep. I remember some incredible athletes like Corey Rogers, Herb, Corey Rogers, TCU, Herbert Taylor, TCU. Yep. Uh, he had a running back named Smith who was really good, uh, a big receiver named Salter that yep, I remember. Frank Salter, yep. Kellen, Kellen something, Kellen – not Kellen Winslow, but something like that. Yeah. You, you had a lot of really good players. Um, we did. I mean, th- that football team was stacked. I mean, they ran yeah. through it, and they, they made it to what the uh, regional final semifinals or something yeah. like that when they ran up against Vince Young, and he went yeah. wild. You know, Vince did Vince. So. so the football obviously got off to a hot start, and kind of like you might have found interesting. I know you listen to every episode, and the, the, the season uh, – my season finale uh, was Coach Schallenberger, who's now coaching at Hightower. So you got to hear yeah, – Yeah, I just listened to that one. Yeah, yeah, you got to hear a coach, you know, a good friend of mine. He was my, he's my offensive coordinator when I was the head coach at Aldine, and now he's at Hightower. And so you, it's probably interesting for you to hear the perspective of a Hightower coach. And he brought this up in his episode. Hightower traditionally has been excellent at football, excellent at basketball, you know, excellent at certain sports. However – They've struggled in some of the other sports, maybe, you know, some of the bat and ball sports that you were a part of, or maybe tennis or things, golf, things of that nature. I'm curious for you in baseball, what was the competitiveness level of your team starting off um, in Fort Bend ISD with baseball? So, you know, one thing, you know, when Hightower opened up, we had freshmen and sophomores only, right? So we, we didn't have a full class, right? It was starting with two grade levels. And so, you know, all of our sports, you're talking, we started with sophomore and JV teams and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, a, it was a build up, right? And so they, they then added in, once we had uh, sophomore or freshman, sophomore, juniors, they allowed varsity, I think in most sports, I, I can't remember if we went varsity. I don't think, I think they still held off until we had seniors on football for varsity. They, I think when they did that, they still played one or two varsity games for some of the like three A type schools, you went, I, I remember you played Royal. Brookshire Royal. I distinctly that was the first one, yep. and I, I remember that year I had a um, uh, a class with uh, Decor Rogers. That one nice. year. I was at speech with him, and I, I was like, that, that was an away game, and he said, "Man, we should have won. We were just nervous, right? There was a yeah. lot of pressure, type of thing. They just played sloppy and, and things like that." And, and so when you look at baseball, baseball, you know, oftentimes kids are growing up together in a little league and they know each other. Things right. Like that, right. Yeah. And so when we looked at, and let's just be honest, baseball historically, it, in even you're really seeing this in the 90s, it takes money for baseball, right? You have right. to buy equipment and things like that. Right. So all, automatically that disenfranchises a portion of the population, right? Because most other sports all the equipment is provided and things like that. And in baseball, you're typically providing your own. So we can talk about politics and issues with that, you know, later on, mm-hmm. but you know, that is something to think about. And so when you look at where Hightower was from a demographic standpoint, 
you know, we're residing kind of in between at that time, Elkins and Willow Ridge. We're filling in that residential area, right? The plan was, you know, this was pre-Ridge Point, Siena was going to populate Hightower, right? Interesting. And so you had a okay. you had a whole bunch of, you know, folks. You had a lot of Quail Valley folks that originally were going to go to Willow Ridge that were now coming into Hightower. Typically, you're talking lower economic spectrums. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you have the Fresno Arcola area, yep. major Hispanic type of populations coming in. Not a lot of money either. And so, you know, you, you really... You know, it's easy to see, you know, haves and haves nots when you come to development and, and things like that. And then Hightower was interesting because we have the the kids that are zoned coupled with people coming in from all over the district. Correct. Look at that. All of a sudden, you know, when you compare other schools, you know, a lot of these kids have been playing together for years. Right. We've got folks coming from Quail Valley. We've got folks coming from Fresno Arcola. We have folks coming from Kempner, from Clements areas, from, you know, uh, Elkins areas, yeah. all coming in together. So they're, you know, on day one, there is no team. Right. We're learning everything about each other and trying to figure yeah. out hey, how what are the dynamics, the personality of this program? And that's, you know, something, you know, in any kind of your sports especially in baseball, that's something that's hard. Where I think a lot of those other sports, you kind of had those traditional type of developmental leagues yeah. where kids knowing each other, playing together for years, that just it's an evolution of that at the, at the high, high school level where you don't see that in the bad ball sports. And so when we looked at the makeups of those programs, definitely baseball, softball, you had – a majority of the team were coming in on the magnet side of things. Not that was my question, Dan, is like what percentage of your team was zone kids versus like, I, I was going to ask, like, were you the only transfer? No, no. I mean, I would say probably half the team was coming in via magnet. What? I Interesting. Mean, was, yeah. And so that was, you, you know, and I think, you know, coach kind of spoke like we would struggle to make programs sometimes, you know, in numbers and, and things like that. It would have been a, a shell of what it was. I would say, you know, bat and ball more similar to you know how Willard just typically performed near the bottom just because yeah. you've got athletes but they're really raw on their build because they've been focusing on other sports and sure. things like yeah. that and not having the abilities to train up in baseball and things like that. And so definitely you saw that of all the sports, baseball and softball for the for the girls, heavy, heavy on magnet influences to get the talent in there. Very interesting and really interesting to me, obviously, my Ridgepoint background kind of I understand that dynamic of the Ridgepoint Hightower and Elkins are all kind of in that Siena mm -hmm. area. And those those yeah. Siena, those Siena parents are very vocal about where their kids are going to be going to school and things. Like that. There are a lot of political issues yes, as sir. they started Siena getting established about, oh, we don't want to go to Hightower. And then all of a sudden Ridgepoint popped up and, and things like yeah. that, because there, there was a debate whether there was going to be a high school back in Siena and then. I think there was the those those locals were very they 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 made it happen that there was yeah gonna be one. and now Crawford High School is on deck and they just hired mm -hmm. they just hired their new football coaches actually a Fort Bend Austin alum a, a guy that I I know David Jackson so um that's pretty cool but I, I'm very interested to see what how that's going to shake up the power dynamic between Hightower and Ridgepoint they they played a whale of a football game this year incredible game and so it's going to be really really interesting last thing on the Hightower football man did you remember a guy named Jarrett Clark. He was, he was yeah. your middle linebacker. He's a guy that I went and had to go up and block many a times on counter. But I, just, I always remember him because he had an extreme, he had a really like kind of 
high-pitched voice kind of like almost like an avery johnson kind of, oh, kind of okay style. yeah now that you say that now i gotta remember him yeah. but I, I later on i remember uh maybe in one summer one summer in college he was actually working at the district i guess in the summertime in maintenance and he was in the austin high school field house and i i remember talking to him but yeah so many great guys you had and i know larry woods your baseball teammate was oh, yeah. the center a really good player yeah uh, there was a there was a chris Molho, i remember the chris Molho, the big yep. giant guard <laughs> you know he's a kid that might have been yeah. maybe he was a ridgepoint kid maybe he was a Santa kid i, I don't know but um yeah lot, lots of great he was players. in the engineering program with okay. me i know for a while so he was there on some sort of magnet uh kind of aspect now of course the, all the programs were open to both you know magnet and non-magnet but it was you know 90 percent of the magnet kids were coming in from elsewhere and things like that and the leader at that time is a legendary coach in his own right kevin o'keefe you know and a guy oh, that yeah. has connections with seven lakes which is a, a program that i'm really closely connected with so oh, yeah did you get to, I know you weren't, a, you weren't in the football program, but he was your athletic campus athletic coordinator. Did you get to have some interactions with Coach O'Keefe? Absolutely, I did. Um, you know, because, you know, after you got into Hightower, whatever, their summer before, they went around, they had, hey, Hightower athletics meeting, hey, things like that as they're building a program. So I got to talk to him after that, because at the time I was thinking about getting back into football, because, you know, when we were kids, I was always a quarterback things like that. I'd had several broken arms there in middle school and, and things like that. And I kind of killed my QB experience, but um, you know, for, for at the middle school level, but I had been working out and I was feeling comfortable again to do quarterback. And so as I kind of, I asked him there at the meeting, hey, what, what's it like in football and things like that. He told me well, we're going to run, you know, the option. I'm like, that ain't me. I'm slow and I'm a pocket passer. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that kind of solidified, you know, right, hey, right. baseball is where it's going to go. And then we started asking about that and he was, talking about you know uh you know who we're going to bring in and said so they hired a coach and, and things like that and they're going to get started up and you know it's saying we don't have facilities yet but they're coming and things like that we all so, went through that and ironically at ridgepoint we had to use your facility before ours is ready so we worked out in the yeah. hightower field house that whole summer before our first year yeah. but yeah it's yeah. so that, that was interesting when we got to school and we were working out on the tennis courts because our baseball stadium was not ready and <laughs> So honestly got ready like two weeks before the first game. <laughs> oh, that is, that is crazy. Too funny. But you said, you know, you mentioned, you know, you started the program from scratch, your program, the, your overall program coach was Eddie Youngblood. And then mm -hmm. freshman year, and I, I, my eyebrows raised in this one, you played for Scott Joseph. And yep. this is, this is a guy that I know he's, he's the area he was, I believe he's moved on to a new position, but he was the yes. head football coach at Davis high school in yeah. Aldine. So he's a guy that I've covered as a journalist yep. and always really enjoy. And if you know that name, Joseph, He's famous. Yep. <laughs> His brother, Gary, is the legendary head football coach, uh, you know, of the Katy Tigers. Uh, Gary's son, Jeff, took Port Natchez Groves all the way to the state championship game this year. So they're pretty good at coaching football. And uh, I'm really excited, as the listeners know, I'm moving to Katy. So my son, Bo, uh, will be a Katy Tiger someday. And hopefully he does choose to play football. But uh, I'm excited to go to move into Titletown and, and see those Josephs, you know, coaching in action. But tell me about Scott Joseph. You mentioned that you loved oh, him as a coach. He was, he was a great so, football coach. I had no idea he coached yeah. baseball. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And uh, um, he was so laid back. I mean, so easy going as a coach. I mean, you will – I I doubt you could find anybody who will ever say a bad word about that guy. I mean, you know, simple, direct, no BS. Wouldn't, you know, you mess up, he's not going to jump down your throat. So you're going to say, you know, you messed up type of situation, you know, yes, coach, you know, I'm going to do better type of a situation. No reason to blow up anything like that, you know, just 
when you think about a player's coach, that is the guy, you know, somebody says that to me, that's the first guy that's going to pop up into my head is going to be, you know, Scott. Yeah. So easy to get along with, you know, and one of the things, you know, as a coach, one of the things I realize is, you know, every team has their own personality of the players. And what I really felt like was his personality as a coach matched up really well with the personality of the player. Yeah. Right. And so we could be relaxed and have fun. And, you know, when we were relaxed, we felt like we could play with, you know, anyone type of a situation and things like that. And so, you know, that first year we, you know, we did pretty well. We were, we did 500 uh, for the season. We were right at 500, but you know, our overall record, I think we were maybe two games. I think we went six and eight in district, but we had a winning record out of district. Yeah. And so brand new, you know, program, and that sophomore team had freshmen only on it, right? And so we were, you know, feeling pretty good. And I mean, I, I, I had a personal benchmark. I had 17 hit by pitches my freshman year. Look at and that. So my left side was sore, but hey, take one for the team. <laughs> I was the living, team. you know, embodiments of that. Fans you know, crowding that plate. We went back and forth. <laughs> You know, on that type of thing, and in the last game, I think my last at bat, I got hit, I got hit by pitch, and so I I held the team lead in that. Now, what was, what is? Now I'm not a baseball guy. What is the strategy? Is is it, is it just as simple as you really crowded the plate, or is there some other technique that you use to get hit by so many pitches? Well, I did. I got really frustrated because I had a really good eye for the plate, and I was tired of getting called out on pitches that were in the other batter's box. I said, give me a break. And so to counteract it, to be able to hit it, I had to crowd the plate. And so because of that, hey, it's going to happen. But I didn't move into any pitches. But the rules say you can't move into it. But as long as you're making an effort to get out of the way, and what I realized is, you know, if you just kind of, you know, getting out of the way, you turn your back, well, all of a sudden that just kind of becomes a bigger target kind of a thing. (laughs) But you're getting out of the way. You're making an effort type of a situation. And, you know, if you hold your ground – or you're making an effort to get out of the way and it hits you, you know, you know, at the freshman level, sophomore team level, you know, you're not dealing with a lot of gas and things like that, even a fastball, you know, it's going to be mid seventies and things like that. And, you know, it'll leave a bruise, but it's not going to hurt you in any way, shape or form. So going back to the coach Joseph thing, Dan, you know, uh, I don't know if that man knows baseball. Maybe he did. Maybe he has a baseball background. I really don't know. But the thing is he's a good coach. And yeah. I believe you put a good, you could have put him in tennis. You could have put him in, especially team sports. So yeah. you could have put him in any, any sport. I feel yeah. like he'd be able to do it. But it was, yeah. And, and I kind of feel like in, in, you know, we have, you know, in Fort ISD, we had the baseball classes and things like that. And so that's when we got a, a lot of instruction time. And that was done by coach Youngblood and right. things like that. Whereas when we go in after school, especially during the season, you're at that point, a lot of major instruction, you don't have time for. It's just right. staying sharp. And, you know, he just basically said, hey, we're going to take an infield, outfield practice, you know, and then we're going to do batting practice every day, right? And that's just going to keep us, you know, focused, keep things on on everything that's there. And, you know, nothing complicated. Just make it – keep our skills up, maintain what you have. And we just ran through it every day. It was quick. It was clockwork. And, you know, we enjoyed it and we had fun. We actually, because we had limited facilities, he actually took us away from uh, the, the JV team that we had uh, that was there with the older guys. Uh, and, you know, we were on the side of the school and we would just go n- knock it out, you know, uh, pretty quick. So, you know, in baseball, technically, like there's 
coaches, like a hitting coach and a pitching coach, and then there's a manager, right? So, like, really, the mm-hmm. manager isn't, ne- like you said, not necessarily coaching you in your techniques. Exactly. He's just managing the game, right? So is that mm-hmm. kind of what you, you saw there? Yeah. And so, you know, we had assigned positions for the most part. We had a, a, a pretty established batting order and things like that. So it was just rinse, cycle, repeat from that perspective and things like that. We had our pitchers. You know, there's, you know, 12 guys on the team and things like that. When most of the extras are just going to be for extra arms. Okay. If this guy doesn't have it, you know, and you, you know, you, you knew your role and you're going to go there for the entire game. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I love that story about coach Joseph and how he stood out to you as a great coach, even though it wasn't his primary sport. I always share on the show. I took a lot of pride in coaching basketball at Ridgepoint and mm-hmm. Clements. And I, I really did. And I, I played no high level basketball. I played no high level yeah. basketball beyond the Denver freeze. I was <laughs> the highest <laughs> level of basketball that I ever exactly. played. So I couldn't give those kids necessarily that aspect of it. But I was like Coach Joseph. I, I know how to coach. I know how to win. I know what winning, you know, winning uh, attitude and demeanor on the bench exactly. is like. I know how to play defense in any sport. And so we just harped on those things and we put together some pretty good, some pretty good results. So I love hearing that, man. But some other coaches you mentioned was Coach Mowbray, Coach Brian, and then of course Coach Youngblood. Uh, you, you're a baseball only player, but it, it essentially in five, a baseball or, you know, six, a baseball is five, it's called five, a at the time it's basically year round. And so basically yes. you're, you're a year round baseball player. And I got to ask you, cause I know a little bit about this because even though I was a football guy, I was one of those guys that was very into the other sports, particularly basketball and baseball. Like I followed them pretty mm-hmm. closely. I went on the road to these games, like for basketball, I would go to Wheeler Fieldhouse and watch all the varsity basketball oh, games. Yeah. And I would, I would travel <laughs> the baseball team. I went to games at Willowridge. I went to a game to watch you and play the Austin Bulldogs at Hightower mm-hmm. High School. Uh, I even at one time, I don't know if it's for your game, but at least for the Willowridge game, I was actually hanging up like K's. <laughs> I printed out a bunch oh, okay, of cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was actually a home game at Austin High School. Yeah, I, I remember you guys doing that. Yeah, so I, I like to do fun stuff like that, just being a fan. But looking back on that, man, so obviously I know the Austin team. Uh, you know, we, we were led, uh, by coach Molig was our head coach. And it was also a football coach, a guy that I really respected. He's now a coach at first, he's been a long time coach at first colony middle school since, um, but we had a good team led by Matt Farrington, who ended up playing baseball at university of Houston, Ernie Toto, one of my football teammates was a big guy that also could play baseball. So we, we were a playoff team pretty much year in and year out, never could really be advanced beyond the first round, but we were a good solid playoff team. Of course, Clements was always very good. And I got to know Coach Herb Espinosa once I became a coach at Clements. Yeah. And God, he he was like my yeah. father figure. Yeah. Just great person. Great guy. Yeah. yeah, great guy. Very guys. similar to you Rocky at, at Bel Air. Those two guys I view as yeah. very similar type of yeah. styles, demeanors, and things like that. Experiences, yeah. And so, of course, and then if, I, I would be remiss to say Elkins, of course, yeah. and with Wardell Starling and just some superstar Pat Leatherwood. Baseball. I remember it was a tough fullback uh, for the for the football team that was good at baseball. And so you have those. That's that's three right there off the bat taken up. And there's only three playoff spots at the time, right? Yeah, I remember exactly. correctly. So there's three right there, not to mention Dulles and Kempner, I'm sure, have really they good bodies. Solid. Everybody, I mean, yeah. everybody had, you know, either MLB, D1 talent or various other college level. I mean, literally, I mean, there was probably somebody on every single team, especially that year we graduated in 02, and maybe outside of Willow Ridge, that had guys going on to play collegiate baseball or multiple guys. I mean, you look at, you know, you know, Clements, you had, uh, uh, Corey Van Allen, Ryan Lamotta, James Lamotta, Loney, yeah. 
Yeah, James Loney from Elkins goes on to an extensive major league career. Where it all started, like you mentioned, he went on to uh, AAA baseball is how high he got up, right? I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, um, there was uh, another Allen from Kintner. I saw him playing at the Skeeters game, you know, wow. and it's like, I, I'll go watch it. It's like, I know that name. I look it up in the, in the you know, in the manual there, the, the, yeah. you know, the game brochure. It's like, yep, Kempner High School. It's like, I'm looking wow. at the age. Yep, I played with this guy. He's still hanging on. That's uh, and, and things like that. It's like, you know, you start thinking about all the talent that was in that district. Yeah, I mean, you're talking, you know, Coach talked about it. Like, we're playing the toughest district in the country right now. Yeah. You know, you know, the year we graduate, Elkins goes on to, they become the mythical national champions, right, of yeah. high school baseball they were ranked number one in the country with the talent they had they also had you know matt and will carpenter on that team i mean it yeah was there you go yep. Yep. it's just stacked with bodies and you're like man and, you know sometimes just to be competitive with how did you guys, guys shake out i mean were you able to like maybe were, were you were you just above willow ridge or were you able to still yeah. take maybe split with kempner and dulles or i'm just curious how, how did you shake out it, you know at the lower levels we were we, could, we were always a couple levels you know, above the, the bottom rung, always above Willow Ridge. You know, there's a story. I remember when one year I was on the JV, we like, we had a horrendous start against Willow Ridge. We, we find ourselves down 11 nothing in the third. Oh like, literally everything is going wrong. And the coach pulls us aside and says, All right, tomorrow you're running. All right. You know, it's supposed to be a day off. It's like, No. Only thing that matters now is how much. All right. Yeah. We come back to run rule them like 21 to 11 and things like that. <laughs> Literally. It was just yeah. like, we, you know, and he figured out what to, to get us motivated and things like that. And I mean, that was, was like, like that story with Coach Schallenberger where I thought we we're going to get fired in the middle yeah. of the game against Northbrook yeah. and we're losing. And <laughs> we came back to route him in the second half. But yeah, yeah. exactly. It was like that. So, you know, we were expected that, you know, most years you know we were able to knock off and seal a couple of wins and you know unfortunately you know i remember our varsity season i don't feel like that team played to the level we should have played yeah. what we were capable of we just there was a lot of things going on and a lot of guys just mentally shut things down and even myself included we had a lot of politics and things like that and yeah. you know things negative to the team that happened and it's it was a bit deflating, right? Because like I said, that summer before we had made, you know, area, you know, uh, semifinals in our summer league tournament, we're expecting to really come in and compete and make waves. And it didn't happen. So unfortunately, you know, we only beat Willow Ridge uh, in district play that year. We took Elkins to the wire. We lost a two, one game. As well. Wow. Yeah, it was close. <laughs> okay. you know I mean, I remember BJ Smith, our pitcher, he pitched a hell of a game. He kept yeah. them under control and we just couldn't quite push in another run. That was by far the best game, you know, of the season that we played. You know, we, we put it together for that one, but uh, a little bit deflating overall. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, man, because I, I always remember I always got up when we played Kempner. You know, yeah. we got to play him in the Astrodome my junior year, and we we kind of like we fell behind extreme. I, I think it was like 35 to 14 or something at halftime, and we, we ended up losing 42-35, something like that. We had massive comeback, just couldn't quite do it. But I would get I'd get up for that to play yeah. against these guys, you know, that like Akarika Don, you know, that I went yeah. that I played middle school ball with. And he was talk about a great linebacker, man. He was awesome. Oh, but yeah. it was fun yeah, to play against Kempner. Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, I played at Colorado. And then all of a sudden, man, junior year, like they were starting to get good. And then senior year, they were just they got 
Dominique Owens and Dewan Cooper. They got these like guys that didn't exist at Sugarland Middle School that I guess they got yeah. from Hodges Bend. And so the, the, the zoning worked out nicely. At Sugarland, it looked a little raw. Like I was like, we yeah. only won one game, <laughs> Sugarland Trojans. But um, you know, once they got to Kempner, it all clicked for them. And so here I am at Austin High School. We go three and seven, both my years on varsity. And then it's like, I could have been a part of a 10 and 0 team at Kempner that our senior year, they go 10 and 0 and you know, they, they met up with Hastings in the first round and, and Roger Wright, yes. you know, te- Texas Longhorn, you know, but um, I still would have been cool though. So I kind of sometimes look back, I don't regret it because I loved Austin high school, but uh, I was like, man, just what kind of luck is that? You know, but I'm curious for you when you went out to the ballpark at Kempner high school, I mean, what, what was that like playing against these guys that you grew oh, up yeah. with? A lot of guys that I knew and things like that. I, Historically, I did very well against Kempner freshman. I mean, yeah. some of my best games. I remember, you know, I remember one game I went to, you know, two for four with four RBIs and things like that against them. I, you know, I think I hit probably four or 500 against them across, yeah. you know, all the games that I played against them. I don't know, for whatever reason, you know, I just, I didn't go in there feeling any different, but the results were always sure. better when I played Kempner things like that and I don't know maybe more relaxed knowing these other guys on the other end and it's like yeah I played against these guys had classes with these guys and things like that so I knew a bunch of them you know Garrett Oakley I was gonna say Garrett Oakley you know now he was a part of that Kyle Griffith I remember you had uh, Kevin Dushenslayer and several others you know guys either knew of or you know knew personally you know you know getting to see and you know just I don't know Whatever reason, that definitely, you know, I, I had a lot of good games against Kimber. And then after that, you know, I'm, I'm wearing my Vince Young jersey here in your honor. You're always you, – you, you bleed, burn orange, you know. I do. And, and uh, you know, you went to the University of Texas. You still were heavily involved. You played several years of intramurals, a year of club. And even when you were there, you kind of took a coaching role. So I'm kind of curious, like, you know, you, this, like I said, you're, you're our first coach. That, you know, coaching is not your profession. You're an engineer. You know, yes. engineer is your day job, but you've coached your kids all the way along the way. So obviously in, in college, you weren't really thinking about being a dad, but I'm curious, was that seed planted in your head since you started taking coaching roles as a college student to where you're like, you know, one day when I settle down and have a family, I'm going to be a coach for them? Or, or, or did you not think about it? Absolutely, it was. Because even in high school, like when we would have like inter-squad games between us, oftentimes I was picked as coach. You know, like how I I was always back in elementary school, spitting out stats like crazy, yeah. talking about You're the history. coach of the Denver Freeze. I was, so you I had was coaching a student experience in your resume. whatever game that I was interested in, whether football, baseball, basketball, I love to study it and things like that in history and things like that. And so had I pursued and, you know, been more, you know, athletically gifted a career in athletics, it would, probably would have been to be a coach, right? Now, you know, whatever. Speed was not my forte. There was frustrations at the end of high school. I said, I'm done with yeah, sports sure. from a competitive standpoint, a real competitive standpoint. But, you know, you, you know, my love of sports never went away. I needed kind of a break type of a situation. And so, you know, thankfully I had academics to fall on. So I go pursue engineering as a, as a career path, but you know, Hey, you know, baseball is baseball. You know, I, I bleed it, you know, and, and know so yeah. much. So, yeah. And intermules and things like that. It's like, yeah, kind of the de facto coaching type of a situation say, Hey, yeah, I'm going to be involved here. I mean, I even, you know, uh, I think even my senior year, I even forgot about this. I, you know, they had like baseball as a, you know, a class. So you could take a one hour class just as a schedule filler and things yeah. like that. You need extra hours hour and I did that and, and you know things like that just to you know keep that you know my heart going and things like that we live the glory days even though 
they weren't too glory back then, but you know, to feel like that. I love it, man. And you're, you're just, you're what I would call like a walking encyclopedia. Your memory is just so awesome, man. I just love how you'll, you'll spit out these old stories. I mean, we, 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 we were talking about UH and and Texas kind of reigniting their rivalry next season. You know, when you come out here to TDCU and, you know, I've got season tickets. So hopefully, you know, we can use those tickets and come out, out to the game. And you instantly told me the story of like the makeshift stands at Robertson stadium. And I just, I just got such a kick out of that, man. So what was it? I know your dad was kind of a big collector. Like I always remember those big stacks of baseball cards that he had, you know, in in the house. So like, did your dad is the guy that kind of got you into being such a historian of the game? I mean, I think part of it, I had a natural inclination just to learn, you know, yeah, always, yeah. you know, be learning and things like that. And, you know, and I think part of my intrinsic nature is always around root cause. Why are things like this? Don't tell right. me how things are today. Let me trace back to figure out why things are like they are today. That's more interesting to me, you know, as a whole. And so that all comes in from history, tracing things back. And I think my dad was similar with that. And of course he loved baseball and, you know, he would, you know, he tells me how he was always mad at his mom because he had three 1952 tops, Mickey Mantle rookie cards, two of which were autographed um, because Mickey Mantle had opened up a chicken restaurant here in Houston. And when he was a kid, he rode his bike over there and got him, you know, uh, autographed when he opened the store and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then his grandma, his mom threw them away when he went off to college, which ironically, of course, is your college, Austin College. So, of course, that's right. That oh, connection. I forgot about that. Yeah, My dad went to Austin College. He didn't graduate, but he did play one year of football there that's at awesome. Austin College. What Mark Parrish, who's another big fan of the show, he he's our he does the Rue yeah. Tales on Facebook, and he's an Austin College historian. So, I, I might challenge him to kind of track down that team that your dad played on, and he'll he'll find yeah, a cool I mean, story. This would have been somewhere. Let's see, 1948. So you're talking mid 60s, 1965, 66 time frame, maybe 67. Somewhere in there would be Domi played one year um, defensive line. He was an end for that. And he was too small. <laughs> At the time, he, the football thought he was too small. You know, you remember how guy. something like that was. So. <laughs> he put on some weight afterwards uh, from well, that perspective. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But nah, man, oh, that's, man, su- such great memories of all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, one thing I always kind of move on in this portion of the show is I always talk about some of the negative behaviors I see at sporting events. It really rubs me the wrong way. It honestly does. I don't know if it's just the way that I am naturally or like maybe having the Japanese background, which is such a higher uh, society built on a hierarchy and respect. And when I go to Japanese, you know, the Japanese always make waves every time World Cup because they clean up their own section. Everything's tidied yeah. up and put in trash bags and they, yep. they leave a note that says, thank you for hosting us. And that's what I think sports should be like. And I go to Japanese games and it's not yelling at officials or questioning referees. They're literally, and I know you hate the Aggies, but it's it's kind of like that kind of thing where there's organized cheering sections. Like the fans feel like their job is to cheer yeah. to help the team win. So they feel like they're a part of the team and they're helping oh, in that way. So I prefer that. But and now I do broadcasting. I see some really negative stuff. E- even a personal friend of mine who, who you may know, you know, that we actually kind of grew up with. He's a basketball coach now. And I, I heard some parents that really just ripping them and talking negative the whole time. And I just, I refrained. And I talked about this with Coach Schallenberger's episode, but I refrained from making a scene in a confrontation because I don't think it's my place. But I was so close. And sometimes I'm like, man, maybe I should have. Because sometimes these people need to be checked, I feel like. But I'm going around and around to ask you, 
sometimes baseball parents especially can get a bad rap in certain ways like the baseball culture you know baseball is one of those sports where there's not it's not like football where there's full scholarships all over the place for everybody and i think a lot of baseball parents you know they're chasing that dream of the scholarship and there's that feeling of man i've already invested 20 dollars in, in the training and the equipment and the personal coach and you kind of start getting that pressure. And so sometimes I think that can kind of compound some of the pressure and stress of, of a baseball existence. So I'm curious for you, you're kind of, you've, you've grown it. You've lived it as a player. Now you're a dad, your kids are following in your footsteps. They're interested in baseball. When you see baseball culture in the youth level, do you see negative things that maybe I'm thinking? And again, I'm not a part of baseball culture, but I've just heard these things. Do you see some of those negative things or am I, is it all much ado about nothing? And, and those things don't exist. I've seen it for years. Um, you know, back when I was a player, there were certain schools where you knew the parents were those type of folks, right? Going to complain about every little thing, talking and, and things like that. I'm like, hey, these are high school kids, right? You need to relax and things right. like that. And um, I, I've seen it my entire life. I, I've seen it. I've seen bad things from coaches and things like that, not just in baseball. It's all when I was coaching soccer and things like that. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Definitely, there were multiple incidences this last season of from coaches where I'm like, man, really? This, and we're talking, these are, you know, 11 to 13 year olds, right? You sure that's what you want to be teaching them, right? And, and things right. like that. And, you know, I brought up some things, talking to my kids after the game and things like that. And, um, you know, it's like, hey, guys, who saw what was going on? Did you see that? All right, let me explain to you what's going on. All right. So you, yep. you don't misinterpret or, or understand. You understand. Definitely. I've heard things from the parents and things like that. Uh, you know, you know, some things you, you may not realize, you know, that, you know, can be heard from the dugout or from the field. A lot of it can be heard and things like that. Right. You know, treatment right. of umpires. And, and, you know, it's. I will say it is a mess right now. The I whole agree. culture and it's, you know, you see it across all sports. I think just in it's magnified in baseball simply because the quietness that typically right. exhibits yes. on the field, yeah. you know, um, you know, you know, especially at the lower levels, you don't see it as much as the professional level as much. You expect that kind of ribbing and, and some of the other kinds of simply because it is professional, but some of the stuff you see at the high school and you know, smaller areas like and guys, you need to, it, it's, it's bad. I mean, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm, I'm just curious, you know, cause like I, I share on the show all the time, you know, I, I kind of had a, a little bit of a traumatic experience, you know, with, with my dad and some of our relationship and some of the things that, you know, I lived growing up as a kid. And so coaches were like my safe haven, you yeah. know, the, the program honestly, like gave me the confidence and, and that release that I needed so desperately <laughs> at that age. And so coaches are really important. And so that's why I think that, you know, someone like you, that it's almost, it's almost more important, I think, in a way, because you're involved in the youth level. Like, you're someone that's actively combating these negative behaviors by the way you behave as a youth coach <laughs> and trying to model these behaviors. But I guess, can you, I know you said it's bad, but as you reflect on it, can you give any advice to those of us that are listening, like, Maybe like, you know, I'll be a, a parent of a youth athlete, hopefully one day. I mean, what can we do as parents? Like, should should we step up and say things when we like what can we do to make it better? I guess you you're in it right now. Yeah. What, what do you what do you what do you recommend we do to try to correct some of this behavior? Well, I mean, you know, especially at the youth level, pretty much everyone is a volunteer. 
right? You know, maybe the umpires might get paid. They may not, right? But they're out there giving up their free time. I've not been paid one penny in it. The thousands of hours that I've put in for coaching, you know, yeah. practices, advice, all that kind of stuff, right? And I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart to share knowledge and try to help, you know, improve the game. And you have to understand that, you know, one, you know, have the healthy respect for those that are doing their best out there. Now, when there is stuff like negative behaviors by coaches, you need to, uh, there are channels. Maybe you don't need to call it out in public, but you can talk to league administrators. Yeah. Every baseball league has an administrator, right? You know, when I've seen the negative behaviors at the end of the day, I write an email, give the, the league administrator a call, you know, say, Hey, this is going on. Right. I don't think this is what you want your league to be known for in these types of situations and that let it be addressed from a formal standpoint there. That's one way. I, the umpire thinks at the lower levels, just leave these guys alone. Nobody's perfect. Yes, yes. The automated strike zone is coming for all levels of baseball. You're seeing that. It's there in the minor leagues. A lot of this type of stuff. You know, we can talk for hours about why sure. it is and why, you know, at this point I support it. You know, there was a viral video going on this weekend right now about what happened in the Southland Conference over the weekend, right? I saw that the guy ending the game with a punch out. I think maybe because ball he in the angry. dirt in the other batter's box. Yeah, right? I think I think what happened was the pitch before. This is just me speculating, but the pitch before the, the strike was called, the batter didn't like it. Kind of showed him up a little bit. Kind of complained yeah. to the umpire. I think the umpire was just pissed at him and yes. just said, "I'll show you." And didn't matter ball. where that ball was coming, strike or to the backstop, it was going to be you know down the middle or uh, to the backstop. Yeah. It was going to be a strike. And it's like you can't do that. All right. I don't like that. Yeah, you know, no. like umpire, if you're mad at him, throw him out of the game right then. All right. You can't argue balls and strikes. All right. You can't do it. You can shake your head and say, mm, you know, and then you move on. You can't point and say, no, it was down there. But to do to do what he did was absolutely uncalled for. And that just perpetuates this issue with umpires and, and things like that that are going on. So they're not helping themselves in, in some of these higher levels. But, you know, I, I remember that. And I, I, mean, I remember being a part of the team where we felt like, you know, in high school, the umpire was just really screwing us over. And guess what? The pitcher and catcher got together. They gave the simple and the catcher let one go into the umpire. And, you know, I saw that happen. I mean, Vigilante it like, justice man, right there. It's like it was, <laughs> it was that bad. I mean, and, yeah. you know. And it's like, you know, ooh, we could talk about that, you know, so was that right? And I know that's not the first time that happened. That happens a lot, you know, in games when you feel like you're getting the raw end of the stick and things like that. Uh, there's got to be better ways. I mean, at the youth level, these parents have got to understand that this one play has zero bearing on your kid's future in baseball. Yeah. yeah. He's going to take a million swings, depending on how long he goes. Guess what? You know, and I know why it happens in baseball because you put in all this time and all this effort and in a game, you might get three chances that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three chances to hit. And if you feel like someone steals one of those opportunities, then you're frustrated as a parent, you're frustrated as a player. Right. And you know, that that's part of the game. And I, and I don't think, you know, in any other sport you have that to where an individual's performance hinges on so few 
opportunities, right? You know, in, in football, you're going to have 20 rushes a game or 20 passes a game, yeah. you know, receivers. Yeah. You may only get a handful. So you got to catch all those, but you know, if right. you're a running back or quarterback, you're going to get off. You're a lineman, you're blocking 80 plays a game type of a situation. You're going to get those opportunities. Basketball court, you know, there's a hundred possessions in a game type of a situation. Baseball, you just, you might get three plate appearances and two or three ch- shots in the field in a game. So it's, yeah. there's a, that's putting a lot of pressure, but at the end of the day, so many scouts are, they want to see how you personally react to the situation. Right. Because I tell my kids when anything, baseball is a game of failure, no different than life. You yeah. are going to fail in this game. It's all about how you bounce back. All right. Like I said, beginning, you know, major league baseball players, the best ones that are batting 300, well, that means they're failing 70% of the time. That's right. Right? They're yeah. failing that much, all right? You know, the best hitters, you know, Little League and, 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 you know, in high school, you know, they're failing 50 to 60% of the time still, all right? And so you have to learn to deal with that. Part of the game is umpires making mistakes and dealing with that. You throw in your bat getting frustration, no, that's not going to make anybody happy because guess what? It's just going to get tougher and you're going to more legitimately get called out. You've got to understand. And that's part of what baseball is, is dealing with failure, but you have to learn how to deal with in life. Totally agree, man. And the takeaway from that, both you and coach Shao echoed the same sentiment. When I asked you the question, I, I I'm glad I didn't engage those parents, even mm-hmm. though a part of me wanted to, nothing good would have come out of that when I'm coming from a place of frustration. But I guess the thing that I regret is I did nothing. I, yeah. I did nothing. And I think that the right channel, was, and I saw the athletic director standing along the baseline yeah. wall and I probably, the, it would have been the right thing to just say, Hey coach, these parents out here, they're really out of line, man. I don't know what you can do, but I think, I think something should be done. That they don't get away with this, you know? So yeah. something to, or at least not get away with, but just so they're held accountable and know that it's unacceptable behavior. So that, that exactly. would have been right And so many times I've been involved with leagues and stuff and I'll see that email. Hey parents, please keep it under control. Everyone out here is a volunteer. Remember that. It's like, in the, that was a situation where I didn't see anything, but someone saw something, they reported it out. And those parents, if they read that email, that message, they know it's probably them, right? And <laughs> sure. that's, you know, that can do just as much good because if you confront them in the moment, well, all of a sudden, it's right. who knows what happens? All of a sudden, exactly. you got a brawl in the stands and yep. that's the last thing you want to see, you know, as a kid or parents fighting out there. Yeah, you're right, because they, they were already in a bad mood. I was irritated. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that turned out that way. But I, I'm, I'm, making it, I'm making it my resolve here that next time I do yeah. see something like that, I'm not going to just let it go. I am going to try to do what you and Shao said and just let an administrator know, and they'll, they'll know the proper channels. But let's talk about some fun stories. You've met yeah. lots of baseball players over the years at various baseball card shows and whatnot. As a kid, you met Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Daryl Kyle, Nolan Ryan, and many more. I mean, can you just kind of describe what that's like? <laughs> well, you know, as a kid, you know, especially growing up in the 90s, you're, you know, you're starstruck, you know, seeing some of these guys, you know, the guys you're watching down there on the field, you know, hey, it's not just they're down there on the field, there they are in real life, you know. To be, you know, in 1993, I got to go to Nolan Ryan's, you know, the exhibition game that the, um, the uh, Rangers and the Astros played there in the Astrodome, his last pitch, you know, last start there on the mound, you know, standing ovation, you know, complete sellout, yeah. million flashbulbs popping on that first pitch and things like that. And to be able to see this, you know, icon, you know, he's at the tail end of his career, but everybody knows. And to see that is just, and to, you know, meet in person over the years and just, 
you know, it's just like, you know, your heroes come to life. You know, I was a quiet kid for the most part. I got finally got over that in my older years, but, you know, just kind of like, you know, shake your hand and just like, wow, you know, you're yeah. a human being. You are real. You're right there. You know, I got pictures somewhere in some book with, you know, a lot of those guys and things like that. I got one also with Kevin Bass uh, somewhere. Nice. Ironically, I got to play against his son, Garrett Bass, when he was at Clements. And so, you know, and that's kind of a younger cool. son. I taught at Clements. So, you know, yeah, the basses. Yeah, several basses yeah. came through for sure. Now, yeah. this one's interesting, and I, I'm no longer an auto auto racing fan. But when I was younger, you probably remember this. I was a Mike because of my dad's influence. Oh yeah, he you didn't have the technical car. knowledge yeah. like your dad. My dad knows yeah. nothing about like fixing a car, changing the oil, or anything. But like he liked to watch auto racing, especially yeah. F1. He was like really into yeah. F1. But I I followed F1. I followed NASCAR. I followed IndyCar. Uh, you know, Mark Martin was always my favorite in the NASCAR circuit. I love Michael Schumacher in F1. And in IndyCar, I don't recall who I was really following, you know, at the time. But, I mean, you know, I know my mom was a big Al Unser Jr. fan. So, I mean, I have fond memories of all those names, you know, in the 90s. But you got to do something really cool. You met and spent time with Team Audi at the 2006 12 Hours of Sebring, including drivers Alan McNish, Ronaldo Capello, and Tom Christensen, as well as having a dinner with a bunch of the team engineers. And that was just a cool event for you. Can you kind of yeah. – Take us behind that, because I think a lot of us, we don't talk much auto racing here on, on yeah. the podcast. So, you know, you know, I'm a, a senior at Texas, get, about to finish my mechanical engineering degree. And it, as a dream job, if it couldn't have been in athletics, it would, you know, my dream job would still be to go be an engineer, uh, you know, at a racing team. That's like the yeah. pinnacle, yeah. right, you know, of engineering and being able to do all that kind of cool stuff and things like that. And so I actually got, you know, an opportunity as a guest of Audi to go to 12 hours. I technically was a guest of Shell and Shell was the major sponsor for Audi to go to go spend time. Shell was providing their brand new clean diesel fuel that, uh, uh, that they were running in the Audi vehicles because you know, that was one of the cool things. Audi was uh, transitioning to diesel-powered vehicles and yeah. kicking everybody's butt. They would have traditionally yeah. been running on gasoline. So they were showing off all this kind of stuff. And so I had to go up there and meet them. And so like, you know, I'm meeting there with team engineers. A bunch of these guys had worked on Formula One teams and things like that. And so I'm just like, you know, almost starstruck because, you know, this is still like, you don't know any of these guys' names. I don't remember their names at this point in time, but giving me all this knowledge and things like that yeah. on the engineering side. And it was just like, it, it's no different than, you know, an athlete seeing an athlete like, hey, this is the career you want to be. Well, this was my real career at this point and getting to see that. And, you know, I actually got to go onto the track there, drive at speed uh, uh, in a Corvette uh, ZR1, things like that, up to 160 miles an hour on the backstretch at Sebring. <laughs> And then be there in the pits, you know, watching them and, and things like that, you know, as they'd come in and fill up 12 hour race. So literally I get to go back to the hotel, get a few hours of sleep. I got like two or three and then was back out, you know, at 3 a.m. to watch the rest of the race, you know, through the nights and things like that. Just a, an incredible experience. I still have the shirt. I, got, I could have I, I thought about wearing that one as well that I bought at that event. And it's just to see those drivers in the career and they talk to you, you start to see like the promotional, you know, at the end of the race, they've just driven, you know, in, you know, the yeah. three of them kind of three, four hour shifts or four, three hour shifts, whatever it was, it was four, three hour shifts. One guy drove twice, but you know, they're tired. They haven't slept, but they got to do the promotional talks and stuff like yeah. that. Thinking Audi, thinking the sponsors talking about what went well, what didn't go right and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's just, you know, to see like the entire race weekend from that perspective, 
if you're ever given a chance, it's, you know, to get a kind of in-depth, you know, in the pit, yeah. you know, inside the pits, inside the team is, it can be eye-opening, you see, because, you know, what you see on Sundays, whether it's Formula One or NASCAR, IndyCar, it's just a shell of the everything that's going on. You know, the, the mass of bodies that make those teams work, you know, the unsung heroes, the drivers get all the credit. But if, you know, each one of those team members doesn't do their job, it, that team doesn't work. And I don't know the name of the Netflix series, but there was an, uh, a yeah, there's a formula done. one series that they yeah. do walking through and kind of giving these guys their due about what makes these teams, tick. but also yeah. kind of like creating like narratives and storylines. And I think it's really attracted even the casual fan just be like, wow, this is actually really cool. You got a lot of personalities. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like when you're sitting in a car with a helmet on, obviously like you, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like how NBA players maybe had the most face recognition over even like football players or, you know, race car drivers because you're getting so much face time, you know? And I think that what that, that series showed is these drivers are full of personality, man. They're super talented mm-hmm. people. So that's really cool. Now this next one, you got a story about Bo Porter, you know, yeah. our, our former manager here at the Astros. I just love seeing that name in print because my son's yeah. name is Bo. So I just love seeing that Bo there, but Bo Porter, the former Astros manager from when he was, a, uh, when he was, he told you a story of when he was a player, mm-hmm. when you, uh, I guess he, he was working. T- tell us the story. Kind of, it's yeah. interesting. You met him at Hightower somehow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Bo Porter was there. Our coach gave us a head up, saying, "Hey, there's going to be a couple of major leaguers using our facilities in the off season just to stay fresh, things like that." Bo Porter being one. There was another one. I cannot remember his name. I was terrible with names. But he played for what I remember. He was he played for Oakland, and his name was either Jason or Scott. I just can't remember. I think it was Jason, but I can't remember his last name. And they were there working out. And so at this time frame, we're talking, you know, this is either uh, 2000, I think, somewhere around the year 2000. So this is before steroids had hit, you know, the mainstream. There were, it was rumors, right? Oh, boy. And, and let's talk is rumors. Rob Manford going to come shut down my podcast? Are you going to say something that gets us all in trouble? I, I'm, no, I'm this, was, this was in Selig's era. So, you know, it was yeah. Selig's <laughs> fault, right? Type of a, a situation. But, you know, this was, you know, post 98. So we're yeah. talking after the, you know, the summer of Samsung and or Sa- Sammy Sosa and, yeah. uh, and, and Mark McGuire and Ken Griffey and their home run chase. But of course, you know, steroids was, you know, in the middle of that, but nothing had come of it. And so, you know, these guys were working out and, and one of our players, she asked like, okay, what is steroids like in the, in the, in major league baseball? And he said, you know, it was, it was, interesting right he, he definitely he didn't call out anybody right he yeah. said that you know both the guys said that they were clean they were not using yeah. but in addition they also you know were kind of talking like hey they didn't fault anybody who was type of yeah. a situation right it's a moral decision that every single player was having to go through at that time right mlb is not doing anything about it right there's no formal test testing right. in place this is pre-balco reports that you know kind of forced their hands at that point but, you know, it was, you know, hey, a lot of guys are using. They threw out probably, you know, a number saying, you know, hey, more than half. You know, yeah. expect that it's more than half are using in some way, shape, or form some sort of steroids. But at the same time, we don't fault anybody that is, right? Because you look at the average lifespan of a major league player, right? You know, we're talking three or four years. That's your time to get in, make your money, and before you're cut, all right? And you're talking, there are thousands of guys you know, between, you know, single A, double A, triple A, developmental leagues trying to break in, all right? If it's a needle that makes the difference between being a 250 hitter and 325, 
and they can get in and make their money. That's a, a tough moral dis- dilemma that a guy has to make. You've dedicated your life to this. And if I can just get in and, you know, get that little bit of an edge and get that one big contract, I can set up my family for life. You got to remember single A baseball players, they don't make anything. You're yeah. talking less than minimum wage, right? You know, double A, you start to make a livable wage. Triple A is a livable wage, right? MLB guys, they get paid, right? But, you know, even with that, if it's only three or four years, well, that's not enough to live off. But if you can get that one big contract, you go Brady Anderson, you know, out of nowhere, 52 home runs, and then all of a sudden you get that big contract. Well, I didn't just set up myself. I set up my kids for life. I, I get it, man. I don't. I don't want to get yeah. get us completely down in a whole rabbit hole. But like, also, I can only imagine the paranoia of not yeah. knowing what if the guy I'm com- competing against. Exactly. I don't know who's the guy coming up behind me. Right? Yeah. Is he? If he starts, is he going to put me out of a job next week? Type of yeah. a situation. I, I and just so yeah. And Dan, I just hate. And again, I I, I don't want to yeah. go too far off this rabbit hole. But like, I just like for instance, you know, and I, I'm not questioning uh, DeAndre Hopkins, the Arizona Cardinals. But yeah. he got busted for performance-enhancing drugs trying to rehab from an injury. Yep. Like, for a football player, he serves a suspension, and nobody cares. Yep. It just it gets – but, like, for a baseball, for whatever reason, the, the baseball writers, I guess, just hold it so sacred. The of a very vilified. game. Yeah. I, I guess I, that's my thing. You know, let's, let's have some yeah. consistency on, on how we're going to punish performance-enhancing no. drugs, I guess. No, and I view, personally, I view the media as being – they knew this was going on. They swept it on the rug because home runs saved baseball. Coming out of the 94 strike, it put butts in seats. It made it popular again, and there was a dirty secret behind it, and guess what? They hid it under the rugs. They ignored it, and they'll, oh, look at how bad it is, and then you're going to call out these same guys that you were – That's what I hate. I hate, I hate these guys having their legacy tarnished, and I, uh, I don't know. Like, for me, like – Again, a whole different topic for me. The Barry Bonds yeah. and the the Pete Roses of the world. And I know he wasn't performance and drugs, yeah. but obviously his gambling stuff. Like they're Hall of Famers in my book. Yeah. I mean, they're it's just... the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Great People. Yeah. So anyhow, that we, we will we'll get a different podcast for that one, man. But yeah. let's let's talk about some of your your fandom. That was a great story from Bo Porter, man. I love that yeah. one. Some of your favorite teams to root for, of course, the University of Texas. Anything in college yeah. base, college football, baseball. Uh, men's and women's basketball. Congratulations to the men's team beating Kansas. Yeah, no, I'm sure you were watching that, man. Really, yep. really strong win. The women came up just short today against yep. Iowa State, but still a great season and more to come. Uh, rowing, golf, any of them. Yeah. You're, 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 any of them. Underwater basket weaving, whatever it becomes, right? If it's, you know, they got burnt orange on their jersey and uniform, yeah, I'll, I love to watch it. And I know that extends on into the pros. You've told me in the past, you always support, you know, your Longhorns that have gone on into the NFL. Of course, in pro baseball, you love your Astros. Basketball, you're a Rockets fan. NFL, much like me, was the Oilers, but that died 25 years ago when they left. So let's talk, let's dig into that, your opinion, because I I feel this way. I never got into the Texans. I just never have. And so it... It, I I, 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 guess had, I wasn't the biggest Oilers fan at the time, but now with nostalgia, man, I wish we could have them back because that whole vibe of the run and shoot and the love you blue and the awesome uniform, probably the best in the league. It just was a great vibe. And I wish I was more into it at that time. I was again, being kind of weird. I was kind of into the lions. I love Barry Sanders, yeah. you know? And so I'm just curious for you though. What, what was it? What, what is it with the Texans? What was it about the Oilers that you love so much? And what is it about the Texans that you just can't, you can't do it. Well, I think with the Oilers was so much of the just the 
felt the organization, the team, the, the players, the coaches, especially it just felt working class, which met the personality of Houston, especially yeah. during that time. Houston's always been more than anything else, a working class town. You know, that's evolved, I think, over the last 20 years, but especially when you go back to the 70s, 80s, and 90s, being tied to the oil and gas industry so heavily, things like that, just you know, pull up your bootstraps and get to work. And you saw this, you know, with, you know, some of the personalities, the bum Phillips of, of yeah. the world and, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, Wade and, you know, even Jack Party. I mean, these, these guys, they just fit culturally with the city, the time and things like that. You know, so many of these guys, you didn't have these big personalities for the most outside of Bumfield. He had this huge personality, yeah. right? But his personality fit Houston, right? So well in the area, but the, the players, it was, they weren't, flashy they weren't showboating they were just we're going out here to work type of a situation you know uh and so much that like you look at the you know the earl camel when he scored a touchdown he didn't spike the ball he just dropped it or handed it to the official and it's like it's okay like Barry I'm Sanders. Go sit down and, yeah. and wait for my next turn yeah. type of a situation right you know and and so much you know the the big guys the bruce matthews and things like that oh, they're on the awesome. line nothing yeah. nothing flashy just go out there and do my job type of a situation right you know the biggest type of thing was typically you know war moon he'd, you know after scoring a touchdown he'd run with his one up in the in the in the air you know type of his finger up in the air type of a situation it just matched the city so well i think during that time frame and you know i think part of it just personally with the texans hey i was going off to college when they were starting so i wasn't even here so uh, yep. tiny... i remember being at our uh, dorm room watching us beat yeah. the cowboys in the first game like i, I remember yeah, yeah i remember that start yeah and it's like, okay, I don't, it's like, I'm kind of there, but I don't have that connection. I, I don't know. It felt kind of cheesy as well. Every day, you know, in the Houston crowd, every Sunday, having the full page ad to buy out, you know, your personal seat license. Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like every, it wasn't focused about building this relationship. It was like, we need your money. We need your money. We need your money. Yeah Type of a situation, which never translated to a product on the field. Either. The, the love like you blew phenomenon yeah. and i i had one of my former guests that i i don't i can't recall it you know being, you know, being yeah. born in 84 you know yeah. but yeah uh i think that was coach carlos longoria i think was one to tell me but like he he lived it and it's like you can't yeah. really describe isn't that just the coolest catchphrase can you imagine just driving yeah. around town everybody saying love you blue i mean that's yeah. just awesome yeah and i and part of that i think it's just the personality of houston because it's a working class town historically they didn't have the money to support you through the downs, right? Especially, you know, being tied to oil and gas, which is boom and bust. They'll love you when you're successful, but the financial things weren't there back then to support you when things were down. Yeah. We didn't forget about you. We're just waiting to for you to come back type of a situation. Yeah. And so when those things that good happens, the the, the city comes out in droves to be able to say, yeah. I, I will say, man, the, the Houston Roughnecks kind of remind me of what you're describing. Like, I go yeah. to those games. Like, the fans are just a different breed of fans. They're dressed mm -hmm. up like Roughnecks. They're wearing, you know, their overalls and their, and their hard hats and their safety glasses. And, I mean, there's a lot of people that – like, I did that, and I thought I might be the only one. But there I, there were so many. They actually like, had their hats painted yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, like, it just brings out that, that – that, if I could think back, if I could be teleported back to what Love You Blue was like – I feel yeah. like it's those people on a bigger scale filling up the Astrodome. Yeah. But and, and I think part of it, the Texans name, it had no relationship to the city of Houston. I hate I it. Oh, and I hate I, how Amy I hate, Adams. Like there was a Dallas Texans. Yeah. Well, guess what? They became the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. That's right. you know, the Texans name was not that of a winner. Poor branding. Right? Poorly it was done. Branding. From the, from and the it, like that's the problem. I think that 
made it tough to forge that initial relationship and, with a lot of the folks. And of course, now you hear that the rumors are the Titans are going to unveil their Oilers throwback, throwbacks. their Oilers throwback uniform against the Houston yeah, Texans. There's, a, there's that needle or knife right in the back. And it's petty stuff, you know, it's just petty yeah. stuff. And Amy Adams is quoted as saying, you know, like it, it's our history. It's not theirs, you know, and I think now it's just becoming like just to, to spite us. But I always wonder if we were able to get new ownership that had no tie to the Texans name, could a new voice go to Amy Adams and negotiate. And of course we're going to have to pay a pretty penny for it for this intellectual property, but give us our uniform back. You know, the Charlotte Hornets were the Bobcats for a couple of miserable years. Now the Charlotte Hornets again, the Cleveland Browns got to be the Cleveland Browns again. Let's, 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 let's write a wrong and give the Oilers back to Houston. I would, I would support that, you know, maybe, you know, but you got to find the right person with with the bucks to do it. I don't know. Send that over to uh, your buddy at U of H Tillman and, and uh... yeah, Tillman. No, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think, Tillman, I think I, getting way, we're not going to go down the trap hole, but just say like, I think sometimes the league needs to step in. Yeah. I would, I would not mind the league stepped in and say, hey, yeah. this wrong needs to be righted. Amy negotiate a fair contract. Here are the parameters. Like you don't want to take it from her. She needs to be compensated, but like, yeah, I, I just don't want her to hold us hostage for some yeah. unattainable figure. But anyhow, yeah. Let's get back to what we're talking yeah. about. You also, you're a big Joe Montana fan. And so that yep. keeps you rooting for the 49ers and the chiefs now all these years later, but here we go. This is the fun part of the show. We're nearing the end here. We talked a lot about the Oilers. Give us your Oilers Mount Rushmore. When you think back to the, to the baby blue, the Columbia blue, you know, what, what do you, what do you think? Who, who is your top four all-time Houston Oilers? Yeah. So number one, the baby blue, the Tyler Rose. Of course. Gotta sure. be Earl. Uh, Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Texas, of course. Yep. You know, you got to start with him. He, you know, just to burst on the scene as a rookie, and he made the Oilers that contender, you know, that missing piece to where they went from, you know, middle of the pack before, you know, a few years earlier, you know, not even winning anything to they got to middle of the pack, and then he took them to, to forge that love you blue, you know, as that, you know, and he's got to be that front because – you probably don't have anything after, you know, his tenure, you know, without, you know, without him being there. Right. He, he, he forged that relationship, Texas homegrown hero coming to play for the Oilers. Bam. You know, so he starts number one, my number two, Warren Moon. Absolutely. Know, he just, yeah. That, you know, how long he's been at Houston only 10, 10 plus years, you know, as that. I remember his daughter went to Elkins. So they, they were a Lake yeah. Olympia family. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ran into him at the, at the grocery store as another one and met, you know, you would see him, he would do his own shopping yeah. and things like that. Awesome. You know, yeah. you'd see him things like that. Um, you know, just, you know, being that centerpiece for a lot of that, that nineties resurgence that we had there in the early nineties and things yeah. like that, the run and shoot, uh, so he's got to be there, you know, so many prep and talk about a guy again, not to get off topic, but a guy that was blackballed essentially from the NFL for all of our, our questioning, you know, our racial history and problems. Yes, I, I was about to go there, you know, yeah. breaking barriers for the black yeah. quarterbacks and things like that to show it is possible. He had a lot of, of maybe large. his prime of his years were spent in Edmonton, right? Exactly. I mean, in the CFL, right? If he doesn't spend his first, what, uh, six, five, six years. And, and, and think about how many records he set in the NFL. He puts those as NFL stats. I mean, my yeah. gosh, yeah. it would have been un- unbelievable uh, type of stats and things like that. So, you know, obviously those two, Earl and Warren, number one, and then the, uh, three, three and four, 
Bruce Matthews and yes. Michael Chen on the line. Those Love guys, great, great. You well know, and, and you know that's when you really kick yourself about those '90s teams to have three Hall of Famers yeah. right there on the offensive side of the ball and not be able to to break through with the Super yeah. Bowl. You know, that was really disappointing when you look at all that talent that was there, things like that. You know, those four by far, you know, my Mount Rushmore. Now this next one, we're gonna go, we're gonna flip over to start bench cut now. Now I know you're a big Joe Montana fan, so. To me, like growing up in our era, Joe Montana really was kind of considered like the goat. Like he was the face Ooh, of everything yeah. in all the video games, and like he was the, the yes. star winning, winning all. Like he was like Tom Brady, winning a lot yes. in San Francisco. And I guess I don't know, like if his PR firm has not done a good job because I feel like he's really kind of aged poorly in the sense of his relevance in these conversations. I don't hear his name get brought up anymore. Like when they talk goat, of course they're going to talk. It's usually between kind of a Peyton Manning and a Tom Brady, and some Aaron Rodgers gets thrown in there. Joe Montana kind of quickly fell by the wayside, which I think in our era, growing yeah. up in the '90s, he would definitely that conversation. But that's what I'm going to ask you here. So a start bench cut: Joe Montana, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning. What would you oh, do, yeah. Dan? So growing up, I was big Joe Montana fan. I mean, it, I mean, he was, you know, King Joe, right? And what you was know? it about him? Cause they obviously have no geographical ties. So just what, what was it that captain cool? I mean, yeah, just, cool. you know, yeah. just like that. I mean, nothing phased him. You go to, you know, back, uh, you know, the, the chicken noodle soup game, right. You know, whatever, you know, the mythic thing. No, as a kid, I want to go to Notre Dame because that's where Joe Montana went and right. Yeah, you know, yeah, things yeah. like that, you know, I mean, he was just, it. He was like that just bigger personality, the greatest that was there. You could, you know, just see walking, living greatness and just so cool. You know, our nineties so kids funny. remember, remember they had those pillows that were like, looked like Joe Montana and they had like an ultimate warrior pillow. Like growing up in the nineties, he, he was like Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he, he was there. He was yeah. everywhere. I mean, just, you know, the king of all sports you had, you know, it was Michael Jordan and Joe Montana, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was that type of a level. And I mean, you know, when we were out there, you know, at Barrington Place, you know, early on playing when they allowed us to play football before they they, they stopped us, right? Somebody would say, I'm Joe Montana, I'm Jerry Rice, right? You know, everybody wanted to be the 49ers because they were, yeah. you know, yeah. they were doing things nobody else was doing, you know, with their with the offenses they were running for the most part. So, you know, it was a different style of football. It opened up, you know, you don't get to where you are today with what they were doing. So, you know, up until, you know... You know, and so that's the first person that pops in my mind. And then, you know, and I held on to this too as long as I could. But at this point, it's Tom Brady is the person I have to stop. Sorry. I, I, okay. Yeah. You know, okay. I can't. No, at this point, it's like, you know, I have to say that what Tom Brady has done, yeah. you know, throughout his career, the longevity of it, being able to even step away from, you know, New England to go down to Tampa Bay and immediately make them a contender. Yeah. Type of a situation is like, okay, it wasn't just Bill Belichick and his defense. This guy took it over and did it there. And I can't argue. Tom Brady is. The I respect team. your objectivity, Dan. A lot of yeah, people like, do not I, allow themselves to be objective. I did not like Brady. I wanted to hate yeah. him, but at a certain point, I said, I can't. I can't anymore. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not like a personal fan, you know, Tom Brady, but I, have to respect what he has done so he's who i would start montana is who i would bench and manning just in those big games just right. couldn't quite do it if he right. got more than two rings he would have could, could have potentially you know kept him over montana but montana was always there in the big games it seemed like he was there mr clutch you know 92 yard drive with two minutes to go 
you know, he's cracking jokes in the huddle too, you know, and things like that. You know, those types of stories, always ready, Mr. Clutch. I, I like that, man. And honestly, Montana kind of has a lot of similarities to Brady. Yes. They're not Dan Marino. They're not the rocket arm. You know what I mean? No. And the, These those- guys that know how to win and play games right, intellectual. You know, that's how I that was my success in baseball. It was on the intellectual side. No, I love it, love it, love it, man. And you think of like the the, the draft of the athletic quarter. I mean, that, that's your Jim Kelly, your John Elway, and your Dan Marino, right? I mean, those were some dudes with some yes. that could really, really sling it. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it's other names that kind of rise to the top. And I, I'd throw Peyton yeah. Manning. Maybe yeah. wasn't considered the biggest arm, but he he was extremely intelligent. He had he knew his yes. system, and he, he's a yeah. great quarterback in his own right. But I, I would yeah. I would also lean to what you're saying, Dan. I totally picking up what you're putting down. Let's talk about your Astros. This mm-hmm. is interesting. Because, again, we have our nostalgia for the 90s, so those players take up a couple spots. But you, you yeah. cannot discredit. We've, we've seen the greatest history of the Astros recently. Yes. It, it's what we're living is actually yes. the greatest Astros of all time, in a way. You know what yes. I mean? Like, the greatest moment of all time. So, I'm really curious how you're going to approach this one. Yeah. So, I'm going to start with Biggio and Bagwell. Those two, yeah. they're two Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, I modeled my game, you know, how I played after those, because those are two guys that also match the personality of the city so much. These are guys not flashy, right? They just went out and did their jobs, right? You never saw Bagwell or Vizio do a bat flip or anything like that, right? Bagwell hits one, he knows it's gone. He just puts his head down and he's, you know, breaks it down to his jaw. Nothing flashy. And that, I think, you know, cemented a relationship because, you know, especially in the 90s as a working class town, these are guys that are just out there busting it every day, playing their guts out and, you know, rally the city behind them. They, now, we talked to, you know, our wits in about, you know, failures in the playoffs, but it's also a team sport. They didn't just fail, sure. you know, yeah. 25 guys failed, right. you know, right. in all those series and things like that. So, with that, you know, Biggio and Bagwell, number two, one and two. Okay. Um, you know, other names start to pop to mind from history, you know, Nolan Ryan and, and things like that. It's yeah. like, well, he played eight years, right, out of a 25-year career. It's like yeah. he's more synonymous really with the Rangers. And while he right. was phenomenal with his time with the Astros, he also played on some horrendous teams that did not help him in any way, shape, or form. I mean, Guy loses almost 20 games, throws nearly 400 strikeouts and doesn't win the Cy Young because and he has a two-something ERA. And it's like, yeah. well, that's not his fault he lost those games. Right, and, you right. know, that's because nobody scored any runs. He was on terrible teams and things like that. So, you know, the longevity isn't quite there. Um, now, you know, one more recent, you know, at this point, I think Jose Altuve has earned his spot. The cornerstone over the last decade plus, he's going to be an Astros for life, you know, that's already statement has kind of been made. They've signed him. He's under a long-term deal. And from what he endured of the multiple straight, you know, hundred lost seasons, never flinching, going out there, playing his best, that same, you know, playing with guts, you know, five yes. foot, nothing, yes. you know, he's the, the living personification of Rudy in baseball, you know, type of a situation. I right? love watching him standing next to Aaron judge on the base yeah. pass and just us yeah. continually winning those matchups. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like this five foot, nothing. You can blast the ball 400 plus feet, you know, and things like that. At this point, you know, you asked me this two or three years ago, I would say he hasn't earned it yet, but at this point, what we have seen this Astros dynasty, multiple championships, you know, you know, what are now six ALCS, 
appearances. I mean, you know, the frustrations of the Astros saw in the 90s against the Braves, well, we're now the Braves, you know, type of a situation, yep. except we have more rings than they do type of a situation, you know, and, and, and things like that. It's like, whoa, you know, you, you have to start thinking about that. And he is the cornerstone. And then, you know, the, the final spot is going to be for Jose Cruz Sr. I took a long time to think about that. Okay. Like, because, you know, he's not a Hall of Famer. Had he been on better teams where Houston had been able to make the playoffs more, maybe in today's world where you have more playoff opportunities and things like that. But back then when you had to win the NL West, right. And there were 10 teams or whatever, and there, you know, whatever, eight teams, you had to win it to make the playoffs. Well, you didn't have wild cards. You didn't have multiple avenues to get into the playoffs. You didn't get these opportunities, but a guy with 2,500 career hits, workman attitude, right career within the organization beyond right and that's where you also look at Bagwell and Biggio their careers didn't stop the day they you know hung up the, the cleats they've stayed involved yeah. you know supporting the the program supporting you know the growth hey guys this is where we went wrong you know not just sharing on the successes but why did we fail learning from those you don't get to those championship levels without having guys that were almost there helping to guide you, setting expectations to continue that growth. And so, you know, Chao, you know, you're talking 40 plus years now within the organization in some sort of role. I think it's a great pick and I don't question it, but there was two names that popped into my head. Maybe this is me just being a little more of a casual fan and you having more overall (laughs) arching knowledge, but the two names that popped into my head would be Lance Berkman and Roy Oswald. I was kind of curious if you, those were the two that maybe those were like the next two on the list. And it's like, I went back and forth. And, and I think part of it is just, you know, and it's because it's an Astros Mount Rushmore. And these guys, you know, Berkman hasn't done much with the Astros afterwards, but neither is Oswald retired and he's sure. back in Mississippi and he's happy as bird. He's got his tractor and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, fantastic pitcher and things like that. But when I think about Mount Rushmore, it's not just what you did, but your legacy. And, yeah. you know, and that's where Jose Cruz's legacy throughout the Astros organization, nearly 40 years out of 60 of the, of the organization he's been involved with and still supporting. And I think that's something, you know, you may not think about because I, I you know, obviously Berkman had more home runs and Oswald probably the, the greatest, you know, pitcher of the Astros who spent the, you know their entire career with them pretty much. And so, I was very close with that, but when I think about Cheo's, you know, long-lasting legacy of beyond just a player, you know, just great pick. It's a great pick. Now, one more name. This guy's not Mount Rushmore quality, but he was my personal favorite. I'm just curious your take on him. I love Billy Wagner. Oh man, I just kind of like that feeling of it. Kind of remind me like Rick Rick Vaughn in, in Major League. You know, like this this closer that had like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, if he played for anybody but Houston, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Simple as that. With the numbers that he has, they are comparable to every other closer that has ever been put into the Hall of Fame type of a situation. I mean, he should be there. It's simple. No one will ever convince me anything otherwise that, hey, you know what? It's simply because he didn't get the media notoriety playing for those Astros teams there in the 90s and things like that. And Uh, Another thing, we don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I do believe coastal media bias, especially in baseball, man. I really feel it. It was going to the playoffs, you know, leading up to the playoffs. But but, okay, let's. Let's put those to bed. Let's go into your your your, two, your true pride and joy here. I'm, I'm gonna I'm get, I'm, you're gonna be Mac Brown now. 
Okay. I'm, I'm giving you the whistle. Yeah. You're, you're, you're setting out the starting lineups. We're going to do some Longhorns start bench mm-hmm. cuts or Coach McAvage or I don't know, a couple yeah. different areas here. Yeah. But uh, let's say Mac Brown, obviously, you know, the, the I best. Mean, most, yeah. Let's do Mac Brown era. Lots of stars that she's. Let, let's start it. Let's start a, a wide receiver. Start bench cut. Longhorns start bench cut edition, wide receiver edition. Jordan Shipley, Roy Williams. I always just remember him from out there from Odessa yeah. Permian, I believe, right? So, yeah. yeah. So I always love Roy Williams and Quan Cosby from Mark, Texas. Yeah. Man, you talk about three great receivers, right? Jordan Shipley, you know, for the longest time he was viewed as a unicorn. Was this guy ever going to be healthy, right? You hear all these reports about how dynamic, how unbelievable this guy is. He has two torn ACLs his, you know, first two years there. And so that's why his name was floating around the program forever. So it seemed like he was there for, you know, 10 years because he actually was because of all his injuries and things like that. And then once he finally stood on the field, you could see why. So dynamic, shifty. I mean, he was, you know, Texas version of a Wes Welker, just anywhere you needed him to be whether he's running deep down the field, in the slot, whatever you want it all over the place. Roy Williams, you know, the first star type of, you know, you know, of that, you know, the Mac Brown era, you know, the part of the big three with him and BJ Johnson and Sloan Thomas, and these guys are going to do great things. And just probably the most talented receiver still that has been at the university of Texas. Yeah. And Quan Cosby coming guy who's actually older than us, but played after we finished because he went to do major league baseball and was in the minor leagues okay. and gave that up, came back to school. Right. Which I think gave him a huge edge because he was just so much more mature. The game wasn't too fast for him in right. any way, shape or form. He always reminded me of like drew Hill of the Houston Oilers, that hidden guy you didn't think about, but yeah. if you didn't were paying attention, sure handed and would make a play whenever you needed it. Of course, the big highlight, of course, being that, you know, game winning catch against Ohio state to end his career, uh, you know, in the Fiesta bowl where he broke free on a 40 yeah. yard play to, to end that game. And it's just beauty. Right. Yes. And, you know, all these type of games. And so I'm going to start with the cut because okay. I, had, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. one. <laughs> I was like going back and forth. And, you know, with that, I am going to cut Quan Cosby because, uh-huh. you know, at the end of the day, he wasn't as dynamic. But that being said, 2009, you know, the Texas offense was a shell of what it was in 2008. 2008, they were putting 40, 50 points up a book on everybody. 2009, it was a shell of that because in that year, it was McCoy and Shipley only. Quan Cosby had graduated. If he's yeah. on that team, they're putting up those same type of numbers because yeah. he couldn't double up Shipley like people. Yeah, yeah. With him not being there, they were missing that extra wide receiver threat, and that caused problems. So his value to the program just great all around guy. He played a little bit with the Bengals in the NFL, but yeah, he's going to be what a cut. And so when I going back and forth, you know, two different styles of offense. Pro, Roy Williams played under under a pro style you know, taking passes from Major and Chris Sims. And then you had uh, Shipley playing with McCoy in a spread type, right? And so it's tough to, you know, because you had different types of, uh, uh, you know, offenses, more opportunities, obviously, with Shipley, yeah. you know, in the spread versus, you know, who knows what Roy could have done in a in a spread type offense and, and things like that with a different mindset and things like that. I mean, just the talent, you know, I will say the – one of two times that I heard 80,000 people visibly, you know, aud- aud- audibly gasp was in the 2003 Texas Tech game 
Vince Young had been pulled out. Texas Tech had taken the lead. Chance Mock had come into the game. We're less than two minutes to go in the game. And Tech is up by, I think, three or four points. I think four points. We need a touchdown um, to, uh, to take the lead. And Roy Williams gets behind the defense. How in the world Tech lets him get behind the defense? Nobody knows. Everybody in the stadium sees it. And there's just like, <gasps> And thankfully, Chance Mock actually overthrows it because if he hits him in stride, we score quickly and Tech may come back down and win the game own. But he overthrows it and Roy makes this incredible diving backwards, kind of, you know, like almost like an Odell type of a catch. Pulls it in for like a 50, 60 yard gain. And it sets them up to where a few plays later they score a touchdown and we hold on. Tech did drive down and miss a field goal, but it was just. That type of because everybody's watching how in the world, you know, but he could make those types of incredible grabs. But at the same time, you know, it was like, okay, if Shipley was just unbelievably reliable, never yeah. took a playoff type of a situation. And so I told myself, if it's fourth and five and we need to make a pass, who do I want as my primary receiver? It's going to be George Shipley. And so he's yeah. going to be who I start or will be who I bench. Juan. Unfortunately, it's who I would have cut. Man, I put you in a tough one right off the bat here, but it's not going to get yeah. any easier. And then, well, this one's a, a little—it's it, a little bit tough because I'm going across a couple different positions. But we yeah. just kind of having fun with it, just kind of rating, you know, who, yeah. who had the most impact. But let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Derek Johnson, there out of Waco, you know, the star linebacker. Brian Arakpo, a native Houstonian from Houston Lamar, out there in HISD, and then another—I guess you can call me Houstonian—Casey Hampton out of Galveston Ball. So. I don't know. They they play at different levels and parts of the field, yeah. but I mean, who, I mean you, we got an and a linebacker and, and an attack. Right. Like, and you could have thrown in God knows how many of there were so many man, we would have been guys nice. and, <laughs> and things like that. But man, between those three, the start is very easy. Derek Johnson. I mean, yeah, that dude special. was on another level. Now, I mean, all three of these guys are great. All right. They went to extensive careers in the NFL, right. For many, many years. But when I look at, DJ's physical presence on the field. I mean, the ranginess sideline to sideline was just unbelievable. In his senior year, that move, that wrap around and punch out that he did, I think he had he set an in, in CAA record for forced fumbles. I mean, there was one in the Oklahoma game where he punched it 40 yards down the field type of a situation that year. Now, unfortunately, it becomes a 40-yard game because Oklahoma recovered it. But, I mean, it was just like that type of violence that he did. And and I remember, like, in the 2004 Oklahoma State game, like, he just took over that game. It was, you know, Oklahoma State just ran out to a huge lead, 35-7. to And, you know, that was almost like the Vince coming out party where they really put it. It was like the second or third game that they started running the spread and they rallied back. And, you know, in the second half, you know, first half Oklahoma State could do no wrong, but in the second half, he just goes wild and just like, it sets the tone, like the first play of the second half, he just busts through the line, doesn't even wrap up and just runs through a running back and just making the presence known this is over. You guys are done type of a situation. And, you don't see that many times from a defensive guy who can take over the game. Yeah. He was one of those guys. Yeah. And so start him. I'm going to bench Arakapo because he was just a genetic freak for his size. Yeah. You know, and a motor that never ends type of a situation coming up the end. Um, and somehow you cut Casey Hampton. I don't know. Well, no, 
Football yeah. coach ever would. <laughs> well, I'm with you though, Dan, because honestly, yeah. like Casey Hampton was a great player, but like the level of the program elevated. But yes. you know, Casey Hampton was still before we got to the national level, right? Yes. We were a good, a good solid team in, in our conference, but you know, Johnson. I mean, now we're talking like championship level teams, like to win it all. So it's a yeah. different caliber of player. I, I would. Well, Johnson that. wasn't on the national championship team. He graduated in 2004. Oh, um, won, okay. So he was part the of that 2004 Texas defense was the sense. best defense of my that I've ever yeah. seen in my life. That defense was nails, right? I yeah. mean, they held Oklahoma to 12 points that year, and they like just completely shut them down. Our offense with Vince Young and Cedric Benson in the backfield could put up zero points. So that is a coaching issue more than yeah, anything yeah. else, right? How does an offense with those two guys in the backfield not put up a few points? But, no, there was a huge drop-off to 2005 after he graduated. They returned like 10 guys on defense, but that one missing one, him. that was him. That was a huge one you could not replace. Oh, man. Now let's go to the glamour positions here. I, I've left out Earl Campbell because, I mean, I, I know which way you're going to go with that one. So we're going yeah. a little more modern here, but at the running back position, Ricky Williams. This this is the reason why I'm a Texas fan. I, I have no tie to Texas, you know, but I fell in love watching Ricky Williams run the football. So that, oh, yeah. that is why I chose UT over AM in that rivalry. And so that's why, you know, I, I'm more on the orange persuasion when, when that rivalry returns here in a few years. But Ricky Williams, Cedric Benson, this was one of the greatest performances I've ever gotten to see in person of Longhorn football. My good friend Jacob Cooper invited me out to AM. So I actually I did the whole experience. I hung out from all weekend. I went to Midnight Yell. I watched Jackson Appel get the fans into a frenzy and say how they were going to stop stuff the Longhorns that you know the following day. That did not happen. Yeah, <laughs> Cedric Benson, Benson ran roughshod. Benson, Cedric ran wild. Cedric Benson ran roughshod uh, on Kyle Field that afternoon. But I, I know you, you're you're a rival of AM. Can I get it? Because you're in it. You you you're really you, you you dislike them maybe a little more than I do. I'm always going to root for Texas. I'm always going to root for AM to lose. I do. I do root against AM, but like I did yeah. kind of enjoy my experience, the Kyle Field experience. Oh, like, yeah. I really did. I mean, their fans are phenomenal. Yeah. Be able to support. I have a tremendous amount of respect for what they're able to do that, to that environment. Yeah. You know, it's it's impressive. It's one. I'm with you, man. It's one of those things. Like I love the people. I just the team. I can't. <laughs> I don't get behind. I'm always rooting the other yeah. way. But anyhow, Cedric Benson, and then. You know, especially if you're talking fantasy football circles, nobody can, no one can stop talking about Bijan Robinson. And maybe he didn't fully unlock all the talent that was there in his Texas career, but like everyone knows, he is an incredible, maybe yeah. what they call generational talent. Maybe that term gets used too much, but that's definitely used for him. So start bench cut Ricky Williams, Cedric Benson, Bijan Robinson. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's tough because, like you said, Bijan, I think, was hampered because he had less than stellar offensive line blocking for him. Mm -hmm. Right. He runs behind the offensive lines of, you know, Ricky Casey Williams Stutter had and, guys, and Cedric yeah. had. He's putting up Dustin a Blaylock. couple thousand yards. Yeah. Easy type of a situation. And so that's definitely something that I took into consideration because you look at his numbers like, yeah, it's not there. But you look at his film it's like, oh, my gosh, when he had a chance, it was unbelievable. Yeah. So for me, I, I'm starting Ricky Williams because yeah. he set an identity to the program, yeah. you know, that was there, you know, from the time he stepped on campus, you know, you know, back when he was wearing, you know, number 11 and things like that, you know, yeah. those early games, you know, uh, you know, big 12 championship and things like that, you know, he was, you know, in there, you, you didn't hear about it because he was running with priest Holmes, right. Priest Holmes yeah. was the starter. Yeah. He was the backup and type of things, but he was just on a different, that size and that speed, you know, and, and that type of, you know, holy crap, this guy's different type of a yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. 
to then, you know, go through the, you know, the downturn of, you know, 97, but still be that guy that's there and then come through, become the star, yeah. you know, in 98, set the record that that run against AM in 98, you know, yeah. that's the game that, you know, it put Texas there. They're having a good season, but that's submitted, hey, Texas is something's different now and starting that Mac Brown run of, yeah. hey, we're knocking off a top 10 AM team. You know, we have a star here to break the record. Uh, you know, on that big, long touchdown run, you know, of just blasting through and carrying a guy for the last couple of yards. It's there. So he's going to be the one that I start. I'm going to bench Bijan. And I know this one is like on there, but, you know, Bijan's talent is just sure. unbelievable. And like I said, you put him behind the lines that Cedric had to, to run behind or the ones that Ricky had to run behind. He's going to have very comparable numbers, right? Yeah. I don't think... Texas did him a lot of favors in his personal stats in many ways for some of the, the offenses that were run. And it's like almost not even used his freshman year, you know, with Tom Herman. Like, come on, man, you've got a beast here. It's, I, you know, like identical. This is something you got to take advantage of. Not going to be here very long. Get him the ball. Took too long from that perspective. But just the talent is there. And, you know, cut, cut Cedric, you know, and that's something, you know, you never – because he was a hallmark, Absolutely. you know, running back and stable there. Absolutely. That's always a tough choice when we play this game, <laughs> you know, but uh, Cedric Benson, rest in peace. Cause he, he was a longhorn legend, a height, a Texas high school football legend. I still remember oh, yes. going to Daryl K Royal Memorial stadium and watching him along with Eric Winston, who ended up going to Miami a star on that, on that Midland Lee uh, oh, football yeah. team. So, Oh yeah. But even, you know, with that, you know, there were a lot of complaints to Mac Brown. Why are you not starting this kid as a freshman and giving him, we got to wait and wait and wait to really let him, you know, take the reins. Like you can't beat Oklahoma, but you've got this guy that's on another level on a talent and you won't give him the ball. All right. You know, and you know, what could he done if he'd been able to get a few more games underneath his belt and even cement even more of a legacy. And the last one, the position that gets all the, the too much blame, too much praise the quarterback position. Vince Young, the Houston native out of Madison High School, the former Madison Marlin. I have fond memories of watching him knock out the, the vaunted Katie Tigers in the Astrodome uh, in a big game during his senior year. Colt McCoy. So many Longhorn fans wonder the what if against Alabama that started the Nick Saban run of championships. Or what if Colt didn't get hurt? And of course, Major Applewhite. Now, of course, he I don't you know his his run as head coach of University of Houston football as a Houston Cougar season ticket holder. That's not what I want to remember him for. But as a quarterback and his battles with Chris Sims and all this kind of it's kind of like Tom Brady and Drew Henson. Like yeah. it seemed obvious to me, Applewhite is what you want to put in there, and Brady is what you want over Henson. But it wasn't always that easy. But Major Applewhite, of course, I'm sure beloved by Longhorn Nation. Start bench cut: Vince Young, Colt McCoy, Major Applewhite. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, my, my decision on this is easy, but um, all of them, you know, Vince, Colt, and Major, one of the things that I noticed about them, they're all member, remembered for their successes, mm -hmm. right, and how great. The one thing, and I'm just going to dive into the Chris Sims stuff, Chris is not remembered for any of his successes. He's only remembered for his failures. And I think that's a little bit unfair by Longhorn Nation, because you don't get Vince Young without getting Chris Sims. All right. Simple as that. Sims was a top prospect, things like that. Um, from that perspective. So you don't even get Vince and then you may not get Colt McCoy type of a situation without getting a, a Chris Sims because it put Texas on a national recruiting map. Right. Good point. But 
all of them had their struggles, you know, various times. I mean, Vince, you know, 2003, they were running the wrong offense and he looked like crap in halfway through 2004. I mean, like I said, he was pulled in the 2003 tech game, right? Because offense went cold underneath him. They put in Chance Mock, who rallies then the team and things like that. Is this QB controversy starting again? Because Chance Mock was the starter at the beginning of the season. When he started the first three or four games, it was after the OU debacle of 2003 that Vince became the starter, but they were running a pro style offense, which didn't fit him and he looked like crap running it. It wasn't until the tech game in 2004 that they migrated to a spread. And so there was lots of discussions at that point. Is Vince the right guy? Colt McCoy? Colt McCoy had it with Jevin Sneed. Type of a QB controversy his freshman year. That's a right. lot of people yeah. forget about that, right? Yeah. They, a lot of Longhorn Nation wanted Jevin Sneed because he had the bigger arm, more mobility, and all that kind of stuff. And But they had Colt McCoy as the starter, all right? And even in 2007 – a lot of people, is Cole McCoy the right guy? Cole McCoy the right guy. Now, they remember him for 2008 for that beautiful season, and no one will ever be able to convince me that to 2008 Texas Longhorns were not the best team in college football that year. Not having a playoff hurt the program that year because no one will ever convince me Texas wasn't the number one team in the country that year. End of story. Yeah. It was on a BS tiebreaker that got Oklahoma into the Big 12 championship only conference in America that that would have happened. Every other conference, Texas would have been the declared the, the tiebreaker. So yeah. there's that. But he's yeah. remembered for 2008 and almost of 2009, right? You know, those types of success. And likewise, major. Majors remember for winning some big games in the almost, the almost miracle of sure. the 2001 Big 12 championship game coming back to there. But he also had some pretty terrible games in there as well terrible knee injuries, right, and things like that, which reliability, Colt McCoy and major, major reliability issues associated with them. Vince was rubber, nothing. Guys, you know, there's video against the Arkansas game. Guys, Arkansas defenders purposely trying to twist his ankles and things like that, and you're like, that shouldn't be right, right? He should be, like, limping and, like, yeah. preparing for a cast, and he just walks it off. So he was rubber, but start Mitchell, simple as that. Yeah. Once he got established, there's – uh, a confidence you knew no matter what, if he was on the field, once he got going, starting in that Texas Tech game through the rest of his career, you, he was going to We win. saw it in high school, man. We saw it in high school. Just he had, he kind of like a Michael Jordan. It. Yeah. That he is had whatever game. it is. Yeah. He had, he had it. it. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, you know, in the NFL, you know, he was put in that same situation, running an offense that didn't fit his style with a coach that didn't want to change. And, he didn't handle it well. There was a maturity issue on his sure. part as well. Uh, too bad, but he will forever be, you know, a Longhorn legend. Yep. And the, the guy you want, you know, for what he ended up. I'm going to bench Colt McCoy because likewise, what he ended up being, yeah. you know, from that perspective, you know, he's just a better version of Major Applewhite, you know, from yeah. that perspective. Was, yeah, sure. Cut from the same type of molds, you know, just better arm, you know, once he got settled there, uh, even a little bit better leadership and, and thing that you saw once he was able to, to bulk up and handle a little bit of the college beating. Cause that was always the big concern. Could he survive? The, the cool thing about Vince Young for me is he's class of O2, just like you and I are. And it's always yeah. kind of cool. Just feeling like this guy, like I was in this, I was in the same say no to drugs, like football poster yeah. with him. That's, that's something I keep cherishing my, uh, in my garage, but it's kind of at that age now where it's like, there's very, very few, you know, Tom Brady retiring. There's very, very few pro athletes that are our age or older. Of course, they're all much younger now. So it's, yeah. I always kind of liked following class of 2002's athletes' careers and 
I always thought that. Oh was yeah, cool. yeah. I mean, that was like, oh, yeah. Like I knew guys that played against this guy, you know, and yeah. there, you know, Herb Taylor played baseball with him, and you know, he went on to the NFL. Well, obviously, you played against, you know, in that in that game against Madison in the playoffs. And then, you know, um, what one quick question, one quick detour, talking about class O two. The one story that I want to bring up because just for our listeners might get a kick out of this. One time, you told me that you were in class and you somehow found the Hightower High School scouting report for Austin High School. <laughs> we were going to play and you you saw like the description of me <laughs> as far as the scouting you, you said something about can pull really well yeah, there's a great <laughs> pull pull blocker that was my that was my thing i would pull around yeah. on the counter because I, I remember small. that yeah, yeah i'm glad you funny. brought that up yeah i did find that i told you that yeah all right dan man this has been so much fun october 21st 2023 get okay. your tickets the texas longhorns are coming here to houston to tdecu stadium Dan and I and and part you know some of his family. I've got three tickets. I don't know how he's going to divvy that up. Who's going to come out that that afternoon? If we can find another one, maybe close by. But uh, we're going to be there. So definitely look for us. We will be in row uh, section three thirty five, row number one. We I got the front row. I got that entire row is ours of the five seats. We're going to be leaning over the rail, screaming. We're right behind the Houston Cougar band. So we're gonna we're gonna be hearing a lot nice. of fun stuff, man. That's yeah. going to be an electric atmosphere. There's going to be a lot of burn orange in the stands because oh, they're, they're, they're going to be. A that lot is of my fear, and I mean. I am a Texas fan, but I'm also a Houston Cougar fan. So I, I don't know how I'm going to react in that moment. I guess I'll just know when it happens. I do feel like I'm also a Michigan fan. I do feel like if Michigan and Texas met, I think my Michigan fandom has passed my Texas fandom. I will say that. I'm pretty sure, just judging by how I feel. But you don't, re- you don't really know till it happens. And so there was a healthy respect in the 2004 of right. Rose Bowl between Texas and Michigan, a very similar fan basis. So I don't think this is one that's going to result in a lot of name calling and things right. like that, as long as it's like it was then. And I think it's going to be a great two years of games. Well, let's see how the Houston one goes though, because I, yeah, I let's do see think that one starts first. That's a big, uh, the, the, you know, the danger problem. is the danger for Houston fans is Texas taking over that stadium. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is on the, the Houston fan base, as you well, you've talked about this, like, they really only support winners a lot of times. And yes. Houston football is coming off a little bit of a down year. It's going to be on those fans to step up and put on red and show up and buy the tickets and not sell them all over the place on StubHub so Longhorns can scoop them up. But that's going to be interesting, man. Cannot wait for it. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please take a moment. Give us the five-star rating. That drives us up the charts so we can hear more stories about coaches making a difference. Hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes in your queue every single week. Follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. That's Coach underscore K-O-B-O. You can hit me up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. When we lift up our own here, we're building our own community, so a lot of times I get recommendations. So reach out to me. Any suggestions or recommendations for a guest, please do. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Dan Shook, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Been a pleasure to be here. 30-plus years of friendship, man. Going to continue on forever, man. Absolutely, man. Here's to the next 30. And thank Mm -hmm. you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring
I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy one more line, record the track just one more time My family think I bumped my head Lost my mind, insuring them I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily But now I got a legacy 